Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List. This is a podcast where we do lists right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Mm-hmm. I was on the radio this morning. Ooh, fancy, fancy. Yeah, you, you and I both occasionally are invited to come on a, a local radio station. and KCRW. Press play. Press play on KCRW here in L.A. And yeah, we review the week's movies. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Nice to be on the real radio. I got to I got to review the film Cocaine Bear Ooh. this morning. That's good. Mm. Did you get to do it on cocaine? No, I. You know what? I've never had it. They should have I, offered I don't, I don't cocaine think with the movie. Uh, I went to a screening, and it's rare that uh, screenings will do this, but they had swag. Oh, it, it was it was what they call the all media, which is different from the press screening. Not really. I suppose so. Well, pre- press screenings are held, like, a little bit beforehand, they're, they're, and that's, they're, that's, where, that's where the important critics Well, I think it's, there's, there's junket screenings, and those people mm. tend to see a movie a little early. Mm. And, that, and they, that, they, they interview, have, like, the cast and yeah, the crew. They, have, they need more time in order to interview people and to transcribe those and get those out there in time for the movie to come out. All media screenings tend to be, like, one of the last screenings before the movie just comes out, and that's yeah. when they invite all media, like, literally everyone else, basically. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes even, like, People from the public, if they want to see it. Uh, yeah, it's not uncommon, yeah. Uh, so they were giving out swag. Uh, and they were giving out us t-shirts, long-sleeve cocaine bear t-shirts, ah. and brownies. Which, you would think if it were like weed bear, you would, brownies yeah. would be a little bit more appropriate. But yeah, no, just... I, I'm not sure if cocaine is conducive to to certain foods i'm 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 a, a bit of a cocaine neophyte yeah i'm not i'm not as <laughs> i don't I'm know not as the, up, don't i'm not up to snuff okay uh, <laughs> i see what you did there uh, no we don't know anything about cocaine we're, we should save our cocaine bear talk for the cocaine bear episode of critically acclaimed or or uh, maybe we'll do a, a an iron list about best cocaine drug addled animals yeah. in any case this is the iron list this is our podcast where we uh we 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 do lists here's how it yeah. works over at our patreon page patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network all of our patrons get to vote every month for a topic and uh whitney and i will take that topic and we'll each come up with our own top 10 list for the best whatever it is mm. uh, usually it's movies and uh, yeah, we don't talk about it in advance. We I have no idea what's on Whitney's list. He has no idea what's on mine. I have a few theories, but no certainties. Nothing yeah. is sure in this cockamamie world of ours. <laughs> um, all I know for certain is that this month, the Iron List is dedicated to the best video game movies. A, a, a bit of a dubious genre, uh, as it goes in, in cinema history. Um Compared to cinema, video games are a, a bit of a newer medium. All things uh, considered, yeah. yes. The, the, the first uh, mainstream commercial video game, Pong, didn't hit the market until 1978. Mm-hmm. And, and there have been uh, experimentations with it earlier, but yeah, but Pong is where P- most Pong, people... Pong, yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of like the flashpoint of video games. Uh, and they became sort of commercially huge with uh, in, in homes with the Atari, and that was a couple of years thereafter. Um, 
ever since then, there's been talk of adapting video games to cinema. Sure. Uh, there is a central issue with adapting video games to cinema is when you look at a lot of video games, especially the early, more popular ones, mm-hmm. a lot of them are derived from movies anyway. They took like yeah. a lot of B-movie premi- premises and a lot of... Uh, uh, like adventure movie, like look at something like Pitfall on the yeah. The Atari. Pitfall is totally just Raiders it's, of the Lost Ark, yeah, it's, but we it, didn't ra- that. So if you yeah. were to make a Pitfall movie, you would essentially just be remaking Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indeed. Uh, so it at that point is a copy of a copy, and I think a lot of makers of video game movies have struggled with that. I, I think I think whenever there's a new medium, mm. uh, people have to take a while to figure out because there's the interest in the medium is clear. Video games are popular. Boom. Billion dollar industry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the question is, how do we take that and adapt it into a completely different medium? And this works in all different directions. Uh, we've seen video games struggle with how to turn movies into video games and vice versa. Uh, we've seen uh, filmmakers trying to figure out how to adapt TV shows to movies and vice versa. Mm. Um, Video games are interesting because they are like a new medium, all things considered. A Mm. very new artistic medium, and they have evolved dramatically in the last 50 or so years. Uh, They are extremely uh, uh, varied in their uh, approaches, their implementations, their genres, their Mm. interfaces, uh, the types of experiences they're trying to craft. Uh, There are brilliant video games, brilliant works of art in the video game uh, uh, medium, mm. some of which do not lend themselves whatsoever to adaptation because they are abstractions. How do you turn yeah. Tetris into a movie? They're actually turned Tetris into a movie, but it's a story about how they made Tetris, which is an interesting story That's because how, it was it, it was owned by the state. Which, it's yeah. a legitimately interesting story, and I'm very curious to see if they pull that movie off because it could be very very fun. Mm. But that's not adapting Tetris. That's adapting the the narrative around Tetris. Mm. Uh, so. Movies based on video games, it, it makes sense that it would take a while to figure out how to do that well, just like there were a lot of growing pains as we figured out how to adapt superhero comics mm. uh, to movies for a long time. There are a few good ones, but a lot of bad ones, until people started cracking the code and we started getting good ones relatively consistently. Uh, I feel like with video games, because there's a lot of variation in terms of what video games are trying to accomplish, uh, I feel like it's been a longer learning curve. Yeah. And I feel that the irony of the video game movie, as we know it, it is partly that so many video games that we adapt to movies are already are already inspired by movies, so mm-hmm. they feel like copies of a copy. You're right about that. But I actually feel like what the, almost the bigger irony is that so many movies that are inspired by video games mm-hmm. are working and working really well and achieving great acclaim and appreciation... But video games aren't getting any credit for it. Oh. <laughs> and so there's a lot of great movies that are about video games, and there's some great movies that are directly inspired by video games in in the way that video games tell stories. Uh, and I was torn when I was putting together my list. How literal do we take this? Because the prompt is video game movies. Is it yeah, only we, adaptations we... of video games? Should it be movies about video games? Could it be movies that are like just motion picture video games? What are the rules? Whitney, did you have any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I, I, I also left it kind of uh, open and abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, you might uh, blindside me with something which might not be considered a video game movie, but if yeah. you have an argument for it, I'm willing to listen. Uh, a lot of mine are adaptations of video games. Yeah. 
Uh, but I have a few that aren't, a few that are uh, just sort of about sort of the video game playing experience. Hmm. I have a... There's another issue with adapting a video game to cinema in hmm. that uh, cinema is a little bit more of a, of a plastic art. It, it's it's a, a storyteller telling you something. Whereas a video game, you become the storyteller. You are, yeah. You are controlling it and you are controlling what kind of character you're controlling and well, you're selecting how the story is coming at you. So there's a yeah. little bit of that interact interactivity mm-hmm. is something that can't really be achieved through conventional filmic means. No, I agree. Uh, video games are almost like a marriage between the artist and the audience yeah, where like, I create the path for you to take, whether it's literally throughout a narrative yeah. or whether it's more, even if it's a more, um, um, sort of metaphoric experience but you're the one who has to walk that path and even though your choices are limited by what I design for you mm. your choices on how to interact with what I have presented is the yeah. experience um, I I haven't played a lot of newer video games yeah. I, I kind of fell out of video games sometime uh, back in the Nintendo 64 days mm. um, yeah I played them all throughout my youth I was a big big video game head uh, as a kid and then when I went away to college I just sort of lost patience for the the medium and I've come back I have like a Nintendo Switch and I played a lot of you know Pokemon games and for me uh, video games have always been a little bit more of an intellectual exercise puzzle mm. solving and you yeah. know, connecting the dots figuring out you know how to crunch numbers uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're always a very cerebral thing for me the idea of video games as like a storytelling medium isn't something I've really had the patience to delve into. So my experience with the medium is going to be a lot different from, I think a lot of modern gamers. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, I, we're both older. We remember video games at a much earlier age. That was what was very formative for us. Um, I still play video games, but I play them a lot less than I used to. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really big video games that I've never really got around to either due to frankly, lack of interest. (laughs) I don't, I'm interested in every single video game out there. Um, but I have great admiration for the form. And I do think that we're at a very interesting time in video games. And uh, we're also at a time when movies are starting to get a little better about adapting video games for the screen. I think we've had more quality video game adaptations lately than we did probably throughout the majority of the previous past. (laughs) Um, But um, in any case, this is going to be based on our own personal tastes, obviously. Um, My own list, I've decided, will be predominantly adaptations because I feel that that is most close to the prompt, but I have a few other sort of, maybe not outside the box, but, you know, a few other takes on video game movies um, that have snuck in there as well. But the majority are movies adapted from video games because I feel like that's probably what... If you clicked on this podcast, this is probably what you're expecting to hear. Right. And I think that's fair. And I think those are definitely movies that... You know, just because we haven't had a lot of really amazing highlights in that genre doesn't mean that that genre doesn't deserve proper exploration. Mm. So I'm not going to do this like kind of a dick move where it's all going to be like documentaries about video games and none of the adaptations are going to make it. That's that's not really in the spirit of the thing. So we got right. uh, we got ten movies each. Here's how it works. Uh, we do not rank them here at the Iron List. Uh, if we put them on our list, it means we recommend them. They're all a tie for a number two, except for one film, which is our number one pick. Yeah. Our number one is our number one. Put a gun to our head, this is what we would say is the best 
video game movie ever. Uh, so we'll save that one for last. But don't get hung up on what film we pick first, second, third, doesn't really matter. Only the last one is the one that's on a little pedestal. All the rest of them are movies that we genuinely think you'll enjoy. We think you're really, really cool, and we hope you uh, enjoy hearing us talk about them. And again, we didn't talk about this ahead of time. I have no idea what Whitney is going to pick. Uh, and on that note, mm-hmm. Whitney, why don't you take us away with your okay. first choice for the best video game movies ever? Um... I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the obvious one, the one you know I'm gonna pick. Okay, I'm gonna pick Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, I didn't even uh, bother picking this one. No. I knew you were gonna cover it. <laughs> it's not my number one. I'm actually surprised uh, it's not your number one. No, I will uh, say that I'm very fond of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, this movie came out in 1993. Um, even at the time, I thought it was fun. I thought it was kind of this this wild, weird uh, version mm. of Super Mario Brothers that you wouldn't expect. Um, I'm I'm okay with there being a movie version that is different from the game. Sure. Uh, Especially the, at the time. The, the game was really abstract at the time. Yeah, th- this was 1993. Mm-hmm. Uh, the newest game, I think, was Super Mario World uh, from the Super Nintendo. Around there, and, yeah. Uh, and, like, there was a narrative. Bowser kidnaps uh, Princess dra- Peach. Dragon com- captures yeah. Princess. Um, Brave Knight, who in this case is a, a little plumber guy, yeah. has to go rescue her across various fantasy kingdoms. Like, smart Mario, uh, outside of the cartoon, which was... Mm-hmm pretty thin Mario did <laughs> the cartoon is abysmal oh it's not very good but it's outside of the cartoon Mario never really had much of like what we consider like a story with character development yeah, and, and, and pursuits and character and growth and uh, until probably the Paper Mario games and even those are kind of aberrations well, well I mean Mario is the ultimate video game character in that uh, you control him he's not yeah. telling you his story mm-hmm. you get to dictate who Mario is well he's a mascot uh, yeah that's who he is you put his face on everything all you Mario, really need is an, is an avatar Avatar, somebody to control. Yeah. Like in, um, in video games, it's weird because on one hand, oh, Mario's going to rescue Princess Peach from this giant turtle monster. Cool. What are you going to do tomorrow, Mario? Going to go go-karting with a turbo with a turtle monster? Like, <laughs> it doesn't really track. Across the games, yeah. It doesn't really track. The only way it makes sense is if they're all like the Muppets and they're just putting on different shows. There you go. And putting on like different live performances and like, oh, Bowser's uh, but, the bad guy again. So, uh, God damn it, just once. I'm tired of the, being the generals. Why can't I be the Harlem Globetrotters? Trying to think of what a live action Super Mario Brothers movie would have looked like in 1993 had it remained faithful to the games, I, I that would have been an it. acid nightmare. It yeah. would have been the worst possible thing. Uh, there, uh, maybe if, if you do it animated, maybe you could pull it off. But and there live was, action, there was an anime film uh, prior sure. to that. I think it was 1986 that movie mm, came out. Yeah, uh, and I think you can find it on like YouTube and um, stuff. It's, was it's it feature length? Feature length anime film, Super what? Mario Brothers anime. Yeah, look it up. Uh, I, I've only seen bits of it. It's kind of like floated through uh, the YouTube world. Um, but yeah, uh, they decided to adapt Super Mario Brothers. Evidently, it was an incredibly troubled production. Nobody could agree on a script. Uh, Bob Hoskins plays Mario, and he wasn't familiar with Mario prior. Yeah. And he's been very vocal about what a horrible shoot it was. Uh, John Leguizamo was very game. He actually said he had a pretty good time on the set. Uh, mm. Hated it when it bombed. And then it's come around because a lot of fans have sort of appeared over the years. Motherfucker. Super Mario Brothers, The Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach, 1986. Yeah. It came it, out one year after the game. Yeah, it's, what it's, the? It's, how have I never seen this? It's, it's, I don't think it's been available in the United it's States. It's considered one of yeah. the first two movies ever based on a video game. How have I never? What? <laughs> I would have watched. I would have, I would have burned. I would have scorched the earth to find this. Well, yeah. live and learn. There you go. Uh, so start scorching. As soon as Fair we're done recording, we can start scorching. But uh, the ideas they came up with, of course, had to stray from the video game. They tried to make it a little bit more realistic. Yeah. So it started in the real world with Mario and Luigi as Brooklyn Plumbers. This, wait, wait, wait. This but, was their attempt to make it realistic? Well, here, the premise is very strange. Um, 
the premise of the movie is in an introduction, which is voiced by Dan Castellaneta, by the way, mm-hmm. from The Simpsons. Um, the meteor that killed the dinosaurs mm-hmm. only killed the dinosaurs in one dimension. It actually yeah. hit the Earth so hard, it fractured space-time mm-hmm. and caused an alternate timeline. Mm-hmm. So in Where the one, dinosaurs survived. In one, the yeah. dinosaurs died and uh, mammals came to, came to be, and that's our world, and you know, we, we evolved from, uh, mm-hmm. from primates. And then in the other one, dinosaurs survived and continued to evolve, and they turned into human-shaped beings. Oh my god, I just realized. Hmm. Pixar's The Good Dinosaur is a prequel to Super Mario Brothers the movie. It very well could be, couldn't it? Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> they, they had to, like, bend over backwards in The Good Dinosaur to explain why humans and dinosaurs could interact, and they could came up with this whole time. Oh, it's just an alternate reality. Survive, where the, alternate no, reality that was an alternate or... reality. In this reality, the comet just missed Earth. Oh, that's right. That was right. it. That was the whole thing. There's like a little joke where like the comet just zooms by Earth and the veterans go, the hell is that? <laughs> oh, well, back to Eden trees. Uh, the uh, reptile people who look like humans. Because that reptiles uh, are naturally evolved to look exactly like humans. Yeah. The, there's a, a an evolutionary term for that, like this yeah. sort of inevitability towards certain shapes. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I'm, I forgot what it was. Yeah. Uh, the plot is uh, the princess from the reptile dimension has been uh, has slipped through a rift and was left in an orphanage, and mm-hmm. she's been living with a piece of a meteorite around her neck until she's an adult. Uh, some of uh, some henchmen come into our dimension, kidnap her, and bring her back. Turns out the evil King Koopa needs that piece of meteor so he can complete uh, the meteor rock, and that will somehow merge dimensions. King Koopa is played by Dennis Hopper. <laughs> This was that little sweet spot for Dennis Hopper, where in the 90s he just played villains constantly. Yeah, yeah it's just a few years before Waterworld. Mm, and Speed. That's like right. He's, all, he's, he's good at Speed. But, oh, he's, uh, he's wonderful in all of them. Like, he's funny in this movie. There's a yeah, scene he, in this he gets, movie. He gets lines of dialogue like, you know what I love about mud? It's clean and dirty at the same time. There is a scene, in, if you, if I understand some people have never even bothered seeing this movie because it's just, it's weird and it's notorious and whatever. Mm. If you do nothing else, go to YouTube and look up the scene where Dennis Hopper, as King Koopa, orders a pizza. <laughs> it's a whole skit that's just Dennis Hopper ordering a pizza. And it's, he makes it work. Well, it's a running gag. You go online yeah. and they kind of string all of the, the pizza references together. Yeah. And the the, the punchline is, uh, you know, I want to get a pizza. Later on, he's like ordering people around, go soldiers, go do this thing. And where's my pizza? Yeah. And then during the climax, somebody like buzzes his, his walkie-talkie. He uh-huh. says, sir, your pizza's here. And he says, not now. <laughs> well, I'm that's, so that's glad the it the climax tracks. of the gag. I'm so glad they thought that uh, the the dinosaur dimension is this. I, I love this very a very particular era of like Hollywood uh, artificial studio filmmaking where they made these gigantic sets mm-hmm. that look really fake, but you can, you can tell a lot of care went into them. Yeah, like this. This and is a huge this effort. Kind of like post apocalyptic cityscape. Oh, art. My cat is freaking out. The, the, are you okay? The cats have the rips right now. They're He's running around the apartment. Around the apartment like a dork. Uh, um, but, but no, like it, it's like this multi layer city block. Yeah, with yeah. cars that can move around in all of them and it's full of detail and nobody asked you to do that yeah, you didn't uh, have to do that buddy mushrooms are a big part of the video game so they actually mm. they decided to have the city like choked with this like fungus. athlete's foot looking fungus yeah. it's like really r- disgusting looking yeah they, there's a they, lot of really gross stuff in this movie people yeah. are devolved into slime uh they have de-evolution machines that like shrink people's heads into these little reptilian brains yeah makes them really docile yoshi is there but yoshi looks like a little velociraptor and he's legitimately creepy he like eats someone 
He grabs somebody by the foot. I don't it's think he actually eats somebody. The implication, it's still, the implication is he would. Yeah. Like, he's he's a monster. Um, um, Super Mario Brothers, the movie, is one of those movies where you could... This is the perfect example, actually, of them trying to figure out, well, how do we turn this into a movie? As though filmmakers had to fix video games. Is this like It's as if this was a puzzle for them to unlock so that we can do this right. And I feel as though... The implication was if we tried to do it faithfully, and granted Mario is a weird game, hmm. there's no way it could work. So we have to just change it, and people will be satisfied with that, as opposed to people who enjoy this thing for exactly what it is will feel betrayed hmm. because you didn't even try to do it right. Yeah. And that was the attitude for Super Mario Brothers the movie for a really long time, and I think we're finally at a point now where we're, fur- we're far enough along from we got so much distance, three decades now. Hmm. Um then we can look back at it and go, a silly movie. It's silly. You know, it's just they, a weird lark. Like, what were they thinking? It's so <laughs> weird. Super Mario Brothers on steroids. They even said uh, in the previews, like, this ain't no game. Uh, they, yeah. they tried to make it like a little heftier and steelier. Uh, yeah, I get... appreciate every effort. I was a fan from the start. I'm yeah. one, one of those jerks who liked it before it was cool. Uh I think it's just like a legitimately strange, enjoyable special effects bonanza. Yeah. Um, the strangeness is going to put some people off. I, I can appreciate that. Sure. But, but I like strange movies. I like movies that, that take big swings and do odd stuff. And mm. I feel like when you have actors like John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins and, and Dennis Hopper, um, who's it? Is it Fiona Shaw? Yeah. Who plays the, the, hey, qu- get the evil, the Dante, evil get queen? Like, she's great. And I forgot the name of the actress who played uh, Big Bertha. She's really oh, great, yeah, yeah, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. I forgot about her, too. Hold on. Let's see what yeah, there's, like, there's, like, rocket boots and yeah. shit in this you movie. You got Fisher Stevens, a future oh, yeah. Academy Award winner, Fisher Stevens. Yeah, uh, he play, plays one of uh, Koopa's underlings. Yeah, and he's the one who gets to be, like, super smart, and Fisher Stevens loves to do that shit. That's well, like, he, he's dumb, and then they evolve his brain. They make him smarter. Oh, yes. Yeah. It was Francesca P. Roberts. Francesca P. Roberts, okay. He played Bertha, yeah. Yeah, the, the dance between her and Mario is... is weirdly sexy <laughs> okay. I, I I have a lot of affection for this movie mm. um, and maybe if I thought you weren't going to put it on here I would have Okay. however I did make room for another film that I thought was uh, in- incredibly maligned when it came out and I think time has been kind to it as it's own thing is it a good adaptation of the property not really mm. uh, is it deeply entertaining in a very kitschy fun way yes <laughs> so my first pick is Street Fighter the movie all right, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, so Street Fighter. Look, the movie. I, I defended Super Mario Brothers, so you can. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll say this about Street Fighter. Uh huh. Um, I had never seen Street Fighter, and nor had I seen a movie called Double Dragon, which is also based on. A oh, that movie is really hard to watch. Yeah, like, it's yeah. just not and, uh, very well made at all. It's really bad. And uh, I I rented them both one day. I constructed a double feature. It's like these two notoriously bad video game movies, and I watched uh-huh. Double Dragon first. That was a smart play. And Double Dragon is horrible it's legitimately just, it, bad from top to bottom it, it, it's cheap they cheap out on the effects yeah. uh, there's this big weird muscly guy that's just gross to look at yeah um, the whole plot is robert patrick finds a magic thingy that helps him turn flat because cgi just figured out how to do that it <laughs> turns him into a shadow yeah no like it turns him into like a, a flat robert uh, patrick it looks ridiculous it's um uh scott wolf and uh mark DeCosco. mark DeCosco yeah. play play the the double dragon yeah. brothers yeah uh, and they get superpowers that don't do anything 
anything. No, uh, it just changes their clothes. It's a legitimately uh, terrible movie. So after watching that, I watched Street Fighter. Uh-huh. And Street Fighter is like solid and has yeah. characters and yeah. a story you can follow. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so I, I ended up finding myself very fond of, of Street Fighter. Yeah. Street Fighter the movie Which is... has no street fighting in No, it. and I was about to get to that. Street Fighter the movie is obviously based off of the Street Fighter video games mm-hmm. and... The Street Fighter video games, their mythology has gotten incredibly complicated as they've added more characters to it. But the basic gist of it is this. There's a bad guy. His name in in the American games is M. Bison. That was actually a mistake, but what are you going to do? He has a a street fighting tournament. And if you win the street fighting tournament, you get to fight him. That's it. Mm. Everyone joins the street fighting tournament either for personal glory or because they have a grudge against this bad guy or one of the other bad guys are at the top of the tournament ranking Mm. and they're trying to win all their fights so that they can fight the so that they can finish their own personal story arc they call him m bison and Mm. uh when i was a kid i thought that was monsieur bison see i like that better actually (laughs) but like yeah so like there are characters who um have a a long-standing grudge against his number one henchman sagat because he like killed their their sensei or something uh that was west studio in the movie right west studio in the movie yeah um then we got uh, uh, Guile is investigating M. Bison's many crimes, and Chun Li is undercover. And but basically, everyone has a reason to be at this fighting tournament. They all fight each other, and at the end, one of them fights M. Bison. That's the whole story. That's a movie. There's no reason not to do that as a movie. That's Enter the Dragon. That's Master of the Flying Guillotine. That's Bloodsport. A fighting tournament is a perfectly good framework for a movie, especially a movie based on a story about a fighting tournament. And you know what we've had? We've had two live-action Street Fighter movies. Mm. Neither of them have been about a fighting tournament. (laughs) That's right. Not (laughs) once. Not even fucking once. And I do not understand it. It's a license to print money. It's the simplest thing in the world. Get some good action choreographers, and you've got a good story. Never understood why they didn't do it. Legend of Chun-Li isn't even camp fun. It's just barely... Competent would be kind. I haven't seen The Legend of Chun-Li. I've heard nothing but bad things. But I will say this for the makers of Street Fighter, the movie. The makers of Street Fighter, the movie, decided that, okay, listen, who is this? Who is playing these video games? At the time, mostly kids. Yeah. Okay, so let's make a movie for kids. I think the problem was that kids... We're supposed the to be time, playing a, a game quite that violent. No, I don't think... I guess junior high kids. No, I actually disagree with that. I think the problem was that the kids who were the audience for the games didn't see the games as juvenile. Mm. They saw them as cool. They saw them as something that uh, they do that is, this is a violent video game. They were actually parents are are concerned. Are these games too violent? Mortal Kombat sucked up most of that oxygen, but the whole general fighting game vibe. Yeah. um, It was seen as something that was a little mature. So this immature movie comes out and everyone kind of rejects it because it feels like an insult. Mm. Um, you change some of the characters around. There's so many characters they were never all going to get something cool to do. I, I accept that. Mm. I appreciate that they tried to put them all in there. Um, you got John claude Van Damme as Guile. Uh, That's a choice. Uh, you, uh, yeah. Army uh, from some country yeah. guy. Uh, you got Ming-Na Wen before she mm. was famous as Chun-Li, and that's pretty fucking cool. It was one of her first big roles, wasn't it? Yeah, no, she was on no, As the World... No, I was a fan no. of hers from As the World Turns, and I found out she was doing this movie. I'm like, what? Really? Neat. <laughs> cool. You got Kylie Minogue that's before right. she was a common household name in America. Uh, you got the, uh, the great Wes Studi. Mm. Uh, you got... Uh, you know who's in this movie? Hmm. Adrian Cronauer. 
Oh, no kidding. The guy that who, who, the, the, who that uh, Good Morning Vietnam was based on. Yeah, Good Morning ba- Vietnam is a, is a biopic, the one that where Robin Williams played like a funny... Uh, uh, radio D- DJ. Radio yeah. DJ in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. Uh, that was based on a real guy, Adrian Cronauer. And so uh, the fictional country that M. Bison runs in the movie is called Shadaloo. And you hear Adrian Cronauer yell, Good morning, Shadaloo! Oh, that was actually Adrian that's Cronauer. actually oh, Adrian Cronauer. Great. I think that's, that's hilarious. Um, so this whole... Big thing about also, how who, who's yeah. the actor who played um, mm. uh, the big Russian Zangief, the big Russian guy. Oh, he did play Zangief. It was uh, uh, Andrew Briniarski, who uh, was Andrew, also uh, he played Leatherface in the right. uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remakes. Um, he's hilarious in this movie. He's, like he's funny. legitimately funny. In he's this legitimately movie. funny. He's he, there, there's a a, yeah. a bit in the movie where um, yeah. all of the there's like good characters and bad characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they all gather for different reasons, but there's mm. essentially just good guys and bad guys. Yeah, a couple of them um, are undercover, but not a big deal. Uh, there's a bit where the good guys get the drop on the bad guys, and the the bad mm. guys are watching the good guys on like a monitor, thinking, "Ha, we, we, we've we've spotted them. We know where they are." Yeah, and uh, so they're all watching on the monitor, and but the good guys have gotten the drop on the bad guys, and, and they start driving a car toward where they are, and it's going to smash into the building where they are, uh-huh. and they see it on this video monitor. And it's like heading toward them, and they're and they're starting to panic because they have nothing they can do. And Zangief looks at the, the TV and says, "Quick, change the channel." <laughs> <laughs> that's that, a funny joke. That's a that's a good joke. That's a legitimately funny <laughs> joke. There's some funny jokes in this movie, and I would argue that Andrew Briniarski and Raul Julia, who I was saving for last, plays M. Bison. Uh, wisely, uh, I was going to let say it. Are the, the superstars of this movie, especially mm. Raul Julia. And this is one of the last movies he made before he died. Unfortunately, he was already ailing, and you can kind of see that he's uh. not the physically imposing presence they probably wanted from him. Uh, but he is, however, giving it his all. Mm-hmm. He is playing M. Bison, not... As a mysterious, seemingly omnipotent warrior, he's playing him as a kooky fascist dictator, Hmm. like a guy who has been writing his own propaganda and believes it. And he is fundamentally 100% hilarious, giving a genuinely great comedic performance. Hmm. In a movie that probably doesn't deserve him. This is a movie with so much stupid crap in it. There's a scene in this movie where they're gonna they're gonna uh, uh, attack M Bison's base. And in order to get there, they're gonna take a stealth boat. <laughs> it turns invisible, except for all the the water it displaces, so it's not invisible at all. Hmm. They thought this was cool. It, they were wrong about that, but they thought it was cool. Um, the fights aren't that great. That's the biggest crime in this movie, frankly. Like, yeah. we, we were owed good fights in a Street Fighter movie. I think that, that's the bare minimum we should have asked. But what it is, when it's not a great fight movie, is genuinely pretty darn funny. And absolutely ridiculous in a very uh, childlike sort of way. Uh, there's a movie I almost picked instead of this. Uh-huh. That is the unofficial Street Fighter movie called Future Cops. <laughs> Future Cops. Is it one where they like knocked off characters? Yeah, they they knocked off the characters. Future Cops takes place initially in the future, where uh, uh let's see, who is it? It's um, I think it's Guile, Dalsum, Vega, who's a good guy in this movie for no particular reason, and someone else. Uh, they're Future Cops. Uh, a bad guy, M. Bison, essentially, uh, has been arrested. 
and he's about to go to trial. And the bad guys go back in time to kill the judge as a kid so that judge can't find him guilty. Of all the things you can do with the time machine, that's what they decided to do. So they have to go back in time and save the judge in high school. And they have to pretend to either be in high school or pretend to be high school teachers. But here's the deal. They're from the future. And in the future, things are a little different. For example, as future cops, they all have microchips in their brains that electrocute them if they lie. Okay. Also, a few other cultural shifts have happened. For example... Um, there's a part in the movie where they're where they're hiding in a kid's bedroom like during the day. Uh-huh. And they're like not go anywhere. And then like, oh, we're hungry. Okay, well, we I found a refrigerator downstairs. Great. We cut to another scene. When we come back to that kitchen in a later scene, they've eaten the refrigerator. Like the whole thing. Yeah, like the actual refrigerator mechanism. And they say, this refrigerator tastes so much better than the refrigerators in the future. Um, <laughs> it's a very weird joke. <laughs> it's a very weird joke. Uh, there's a scene where they go on a date, and they're like, one of them goes on a date with like teenage Chung Lee. Okay. And it's like, okay, well, I want to make this kind of special, so we'll use our future technology to go inside the video game. And now they're inside a Super Mario Brothers game where they have to like jump around turtles. Fine. There's a lot of things in the movie that are actually kind of fucked up. Uh, there's some like really gross... Uh, sexism in it and there's some there's some very there's some sequences that make it kind of a hard watch sometimes so I couldn't in good conscience really pick it and totally recommend it but if that sounds like something where you're like I gotta see that no matter what the fuck they say <laughs> uh, you should totally check that out but for the actual movie I'm picking I'm picking Street Fighter the movie because it's a hoot it's a fun silly flick yeah, and now that was... we, and now that we know that the, the, the stain on the video game franchise came out <laughs> And the video game franchise is fine. I think it's okay to just say we enjoy that kooky film for what it yeah. is now. Um, Street Fighter was uh, written and directed by Steven E. D'Souza, mm-hmm. who's actually like a, a pretty notable blockbuster uh, writer and director. Oh, yeah. He wrote, he wrote, he wrote he, Commando, he, Die Hard. Yeah, he wrote Die Hard, which is like one mm. of the best Hollywood screenplays you'll find. Yeah, he worked on uh, The Running Man. Yeah. He worked, But he also worked on some major crap. He did the, the Sylvester Stallone, Judge Dredd. Yeah, he he worked on Hudson Hawk, uh, which that's another notoriously bad one that I actually enjoy for its. Yeah, Hudson Hawk but, is uh, actually fun, but uh, he worked on uh, the Flintstones. Uh, yeah, although admittedly, I'm, he was one of like thirty screenwriters uh, yeah, to work yeah, on. Yeah. That. I'm, I'm not going to pin the Flintstones on any yeah. one person. But yeah, uh, but then he also he also did the uh, superhero movie, The Return of Captain Invincible. Yeah, which is a movie in which Alan Arkin plays a superhero who's also an alcoholic, and it's a musical. Mm. <laughs> it's a, a real, weird it's a real movie it's a weird flick yeah. man it's a weird fucking flick anyway what's your next uh, well I, I guess mine is like my version of a street fighter I, okay. I feel like they're all uh, fighting video games are knockoffs on Vendor the Dragon uh, pretty much and, and other sort of kung fu movies S- similar feature, films uh, of their ilk certainly feature yeah. fighting tournaments so if you're gonna do that you, it's okay to keep the premise thin we're gonna mm. get good fighters together and what what marks them? They're all interesting, big personalities, right? Yeah. You want to see them all sort of be a little bit over the top and strange. You want to see them hit each other a bunch, yeah. And you know, winnow winnow the tournament down until there's only one standing. And of course, then there's a bad guy that you have to yeah. fight at the end. What if the bad guy was Eric Roberts in Shades? <laughs> and cool what if, sunglasses. And what if all of the fighters were bikini babes? 
That's DOA Dead or Alive from 2006. This is on my list as well. Good! I'm so yeah. glad! <laughs> because they nailed it. For once, they nailed it. They understood that this is kind of like a B-movie premise. Mm-hmm. We need a lot of ridiculous action. We need a lot of over-the-top fun characters. Uh, yeah. It's a little lascivious. Uh, oh, yeah. I know uh, Dead or Alive... Um, released like dead or alive volleyball like yeah. as a spin-off game the, the video games for uh, dead or alive were these 3d animated uh fighting games and the women in the games were all very uh, uh voluptuous yeah, yeah. and they had uh, a lot of animations where if they like jumped around their 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 breasts yeah. would bounce a <laughs> bit more than pl- realistically pl- they would plenty of decalotage in the movie um, and and the 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 sort of tawdriness hmm. of the premise uh, became such a selling point that they decided to just fuck it make a volleyball game yeah so they're all in like skippy yeah. swimwear jumping around playing volleyball the and to their characters. credit they play the volleyball game in the movie uh, well that's what I was gonna say they, yeah. they, they, under, they understood that part that this kind of like lasciviousness is mm-hmm. part of the franchise so why not have have the uh, the volleyball game but the actresses are all incredibly game Jamie Presley yes one of the funniest comedians ever who, you know, I think she has got like 30 Emmys or something from uh, that show. My name is Earl. Oh, that's really, that's awesome. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Uh, th- that show won a lot of awards and, and Jamie Presley is great. It uh, was incredibly popular. Nobody talks about it anymore. It was incredibly popular. Yeah. It just sort of yeah. has slipped everybody's mind. My name is Earl. Well, that she only won uh, once. I think she was just nominated a billion times. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. She should have won a bunch. Uh, she's yeah. hilarious. She's been big on television. She was in that show mom for like yeah. seven years. Um, you find a picture of Jamie Presley standing next to Margot Robbie, and you will not be able to tell them apart. They yeah. look very, very similar. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and get some Mara Weaving in there. Why not? Um, so, yeah, the premise, yeah she, is, the premise is a whole bunch of, like, really cool fighters from around the world are invited to go to a fighting tournament. So they do. And that's that. Some of them have motivations beyond that. Like, there was a fighting tournament last year. A guy went missing. And so, like, his sister... And another guy from, like, this secret ninja clan mm. uh, are here to investigate that. But for the most part, they're here to win $10 million. That's why they're all here. So they're all mostly here to have fun. And when they're here, they they sleep around. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of awkward dating stuff. They have fun. They play volleyball. And they beat the crap out of each other. And... DOA is one of those movies where they, it really does feel like they actually captured the tone of the game pretty well. The plot... Yeah. Not so much. They changed some stuff. But the basic vibe. Because what is a video game in that ilk, really, if not uh, an attempt to give people an experience they wouldn't have mm-hmm. otherwise? And often that experience is a bit larger than life. So you get to do really cool fighting stuff and everyone's super attractive. Well, what's this movie? Lots of really cool fighting with super attractive people. Mm-hmm. It's about it, really. Um the film was direct. I think they got a good director. Yeah. Because it's Corey Yen. Yeah. And Corey Yen uh, has, had been making fight films for like the Shaw Brothers for yeah. many, many years. And in indeed, he made, he made some really great action movies starring women, like featuring women. He made like, Yes, yes Madam, Madam. Yeah, with so Cynthia Rothrock and Michelle Yeoh. He did uh, So Close, starring Chu Chi and. Oh, was that Corey Yen? That was Corey Yen. Was, was so, yeah, it was. Chu Chi and so Karen close. Mock, I think, was it? Karen Mock and Zhao Hui. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fun film, that is. Um,. He's a good filmmaker, or at the very least, he's a fun filmmaker. He also did No Retreat, No Surrender, which is absurd. Um, <laughs> and uh, and he's his first uh, film in uh, the United States was The Transporter. No, his first film was in the United States was No Retreat, No Surrender in the eighties. That was the one with the, oh, that, oh, the yeah, kid yeah. training to like fight John Claude yeah. Van Damme. Uh, also, uh, uh, I interviewed Louis Leterrier, who directed The Transporter Two. Mm. 
and the transporter one. Apparently, he ended up oh. doing the lion's share of that, but Corianne was uh, contractually obligated to get credit, mm. according to the interview I did. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, DOA Dead or Alive, uh, he's actually bringing like a lot of verve as a director, like as a fight director. So the fight choreography is actually really exciting, and mm-hmm. the camera's in the right spot, and the, you can tell the locations that, are very. You, know, you can tell I, that, I that, that the stunts and stunt workers and the actresses really kind of brought it in terms of like fighting and training. So it's mm-hmm. actually. Like Pretty good fun movie. A, a straightforward, really, really good drive-in kind of a film. Yeah, uh, just there's a lot of it's it's a one of like a, the more solid like PG thirteen exploitation movies you're gonna yeah, check th- out. There, there's a lot of bikini stuff. There's a scene where one of the characters uh, is a whole bunch of cops like swarm her hotel room mm. to arrest her while she's naked. And That's she right. fights them while she's putting on her clothes, which is a fun little like bit. Her, her, there's a scene where like her brassiere fly, flies up in the air, yeah. and as it's falling, she sort of like leaps forward. It lands on her body, uh, and she, in that same movement, she catches a falling gun out of the air. Yeah, points it behind her and asks the man behind her to. to could you hook that for me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. There's also, there's also really fun cute character bits. Cute moments like that. Uh, uh, Jamie Presley uh, plays uh, a wrestler in this movie, and she's out to prove uh, that wrestling is a real fighting style. Yeah. That's her vibe. Um, so she's in the fighting tournament, but so is her father, uh, who is played by... Hold on, I forget his name here. That's uh, not Eric Roberts, is it? No, it's not, no, it's not Eric Roberts. Uh, it's is a guy. He's that one dude. Mm. Something Nash. Something Nash. He did a Nash. <laughs> Something Nash. I don't know. Kevin Nash. Kev. Oh, Kevin Nash. Yeah, yeah he's okay. he's actually rather famous, I, I, yeah, and I'm the, just the I just don't know about sports. Um, he keeps running into her in like kind of compromising situations where it looks like she's like. Hang, like making out with or like sleeping with other various women in the tournament, mm. and. Kudos to the film for never going for the gay panic joke. The joke yeah. is he's going to be embarrassing about it. Like, oh, I didn't realize you were with somebody. I, yeah. We can fight later. I, I, I apologize. Just, uh, <laughs> what's your name? You seem really nice. Dad, get out of here. Sorry. Sorry. Later on, he catches her in the arms of another woman. It's also all misunderstanding. But he's like, does Christy know? <laughs> he's super like supportive and it's kind of cute it's cute I don't think the character is actually like explicitly queer though no is, no no but know, it's like they, issue, they but... do that joke where it's like it's a misunderstanding but without going for gay panic yeah, yeah. there's nothing she's not embarrassed by that in fact other women are into her mm. it's just we managed to do the bit where just it's just dads being a little embarrassing <laughs> I think they managed to make it work Which, anyway. yeah it's better, better than the alternative anyway yeah the fights are really really fun uh, the only real problem with it is it has to culminate in a fight with Eric Roberts. And Eric Roberts, I don't care how many nanobots you shove into his body <laughs> and how not. many times you tell us, no, we swear to God, he's a good fighter. Uh, he's not. He no. isn't convincing for a fucking second. And it undermines the ending a smidge, but it's not really the end of the world. It's no, just no. The, well, the ending could be a little cooler, but whatever. But I like it a lot. I'm glad you picked it. Yeah, so I, did I. <laughs> so fond of Dead or Alive. All right. What, what's your next pick? Because uh, that was mine as well. Yeah. What, what is my next pick? What do I want to talk about next? Yeah. Um, here, here's another uh, sort of big studio film. This one's not uh, about uh, a video game that exists, but it takes place in a room where, in a world where video games exist. It's it's uh, Disney, Disney's Wreck-It Ralph. Um, oh, okay. I'm actually very fond of Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, this weird uh, sort of creativity exchange 
happened at some point in like the the late two thousands between uh, Disney's animation studio and Pixar's animation studio. Pixar yeah. started to fall off a little bit, and they started making films like Brave, which you know yeah. is this bizarre comedy about a girl whose mom turns into a bear. I actually really um, like that movie, but I, I'm it, not fond of Brave. I think it was mismarketed. Uh, Everyone thought it was going to be something it absolutely was not, like, yeah, and that's always like, a mistake. It's kind of like medieval adventure when really it's kind of like this this weird farcical comedy. Yeah. Uh, but then Disney came out with Wreck-It Ralph, which was put together by um, the the same uh, animation team that worked on Futurama. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of tell it has that sort of cheeky sense of humor to it. Mm-hmm. And it takes place inside video games. Uh, the video game characters you play are actually on their job. When you yeah. put a quarter in, they have to sort of enact this little play for you. And you control them, but they're actually like living conscious beings. Yeah. Bringing up all kinds of weird existential nightmares about your the games you play. Yeah, I don't uh, really but, think about that too hard. But Wreck-It Ralph is this Donkey Kong-like character. This big sort of bruiser plays the villain in his own game. And he's always mm. rejected by the hero characters within the game. Mm. He hates that, so he decides to leave the game and go throughout the video arcade and interact with other games. Well, he, what he wants to do uh, is he wants to be the hero for a change. And mm. if he can't do that in his own game, he'll do it in another game. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, that's dangerous because if he breaks a game, like if people are playing a game and they see him where he's not supposed to be... They, they the assume arcade, it's broken, and, and, they, the, and they, then all of those pe- the arcade characters will either die or like the, be the, like trapped in like the nether the, realm between yeah, video the, games. The game will be hauled out of the arcade. I, I appreciate this uh, film because it is actually about a little bit about arcade culture. Sure, it's about you know sort of going to video arcades, and that's sort of my formative video game playing experience was all the, the coin op machines and video arcades. I loved video arcades as a kid. Uh, and yeah, I think Wreck-It Ralph is sort of a sort of a fun character. Most of the the film takes place in a, a racing game called Sugar Rush, that's yeah. all uh, candy themed. And good golly, they cracked the whip on those candy puns. There's so many candy puns. <laughs> it's it's like they it's like they got like a little bored with the premise and decided to make the second half. What if we did a Candyland movie? Yeah, yeah. Which isn't the worst thing in the world. I thought it was a little like not doing enough with the premise, but. There's God. There are a lot of candy jokes, um, and then he and then he befriends uh, another video game character played by uh, Sarah Silverman, Sarah Silverman yeah. um, who glitches out, and so they're afraid to put her in the game because they're she's gonna break the she's game. She's gonna break the game. People think the game is broken, and then the game will be destroyed. So she's never allowed to do her thing. Um, there's a there's one element of Wreck-It Ralph that I'm not hugely fond of, and it's the reason why it didn't make my list, but I like it a lot. Hmm. Um, I actually prefer the sequel. Uh, Ralph so, breaks the internet. Okay, uh, which I think is very, very clever, and that's when they find their way into the internet proper. And... C- clever ideas. I feel like they didn't. Uh, it wasn't quite as clever as the first. Though. It wasn't. It wasn't quite as silly as the first. Maybe not. Maybe not as silly, mm. but I actually think it had some thoughtful things to say about how the internet works, and mm. um, that thought they had some good jokes within it as well. Yeah. But um, the thing I don't like about Wreck-It Ralph, and the reason why it's not on my top ten, is because it argues fundamentally Mm. that you have to do exactly what you were born to do or the system fails for if you're a video game certainly yeah and i'm not sure that's the best message to lean on because (laughs) even even characters who are like ah well this character will defy what everyone told them to do and end up Mm. becoming a great video game hero and like yeah that's what they were literally programmed to do from the beginning and that was a whole plot point Mm. that they got like kind of their data got corrupted or whatever so Ultimately, the, the the movie argues you're best off exactly where you always were, and that changing your station is the worst thing you could possibly do. And I realize that within the confines of this particular world, that makes sense. But as a 
kids movie. Mm. Weird message to focus on. <laughs> uh, if, and if I'm not kid, usually fond of it. I'm thinking if a kid is watching this movie, they're they're mm. thinking, yeah, I would rather my video games restore themselves. Uh, rather than necessarily relating to Ralph's plight, and uh, Ralph got to be, Ralph got to become a hero and also maintain status quo. I think they did it fine. Well, I think that's one of the reasons um, why I like uh, Ralph breaks the internet is because they realize that his journey at the end of Wrecked Ralph actually wasn't entirely healthy, hmm. and then he ends up kind of living just for one person, and that's the person that isn't even him. Yeah, and I think Ralph breaks the internet is about kind of fixing that a little bit. Which is the reason why I like that movie. Also, like uh, in in the sequel, um, the Sarah Silverman character, she's actually hmm. like. A little bit of a psychopath. Uh, they, yeah. they actually say that out loud in the movie. It's like she, she's a little bit off balance, and um, she ends up leaving the candy, the Candyland racing game uh, for something like GTA. For, yeah, for like Grand Theft Auto. Like this really violent game is actually yeah. a lot more her speed. That's fun. I think that's and, fun. And, and I like that they actually addressed you know video games have become really violent and sophisticated uh, in those interim years. So yeah. why not have those in a movie? Um, I love all the uh, the sort of the, the clever setup. I love the sort of uh, poem to arcade culture, and I loved all the references. Mm. Uh, this is clearly made by guys about my age who also spent a lot of time at video arcades, so they mm. use a lot of these old uh, video game characters in clever ways. Yeah. Um, in ways that don't feel like, hey, recognize that too often. There's and, there's definitely bits, especially mm. in the early part, where he's like jumping from game to game, and they have like a supervillain support group. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's all references. All so like of that's references. Zondief and Bowser. They and get that. it out of the way pretty quick, yeah. which I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, I do appreciate that After Hours, the only game that's left on so the, the other games can sort of go there and have mm. a drink is Tapper. Yeah. If you've ever played, beer, <laughs> if you've ever played a, a video game called Beer Tapper, it actually had a beer tap as the control on, yeah. on the console. And you would, you played a bartender and you had to throw beers at people to push them out of your bar. That was the premise of the yeah. game. Very hard game, actually. Oh, very fun. I'm pretty good at tapping. I, I never got good at it, but I when I played it, I did have a I did have a good time. Um, so cool. I, yeah. I like Wrecked Ralph. It's it's and, I like it, mm. and I think the the sequel ameliorates some of my problems with it, uh-huh. which is one of the reasons why I like the sequel a little bit better. Uh, my next pick is also a film that is very much about arcade cabinets. Okay. Uh, it is, however, not a film that is like Wrecked Ralph. It's not a film that is based explicitly on a real game. Uh, it is, however. A movie that has a message that I have taken with me ever since I was a kid. Hmm. Uh, and it's been really formative for me. And I watched it again recently, and it actually holds up really well. Uh, hmm. And that is The Last Starfighter. I knew you were going to say The Last Starfighter. It's also on my list. Oh, good. I'm glad. So, yeah. I love The Last Starfighter pieces. The Last Starfighter um, is an adventure film. Uh, direct- directed by Nick Castle. Directed by Nick Castle, who played The Shape in Halloween and... Uh, the, I think at least the first two David Gordon Green Halloween movies. And uh, um, he um, is he in the Coupe de Villes with uh, with John might, Carpenter? I'm actually not sure about uh, he, that. He was a, a film school buddy with John Carpenter, which is you yeah. know, why he was in Halloween. And he had a pretty and he had a pretty successful filmmaking career. He directed that Dennis the Menace movie with yeah. uh, Christopher, uh, not Chris um, Walter, Walter Matthau. Yeah. Um, he he had a pretty dang good career, all things considered. Um, he directed this absolutely wonderful hero's journey adventure film starring Lance Guest from Halloween 2. Good, good wish fulfillment kind of a yeah. movie, too. Uh, Lance Guest plays a teenager who is living in a trailer park. His mom uh, is the great Barbara Bossen, who sadly, like, literally just passed away. Uh-huh. Uh, wonderful actor. Uh, you might remember from Cop Rock, but if you ever get a chance to see her in Murder One, 
God, she was a good actor. <laughs> ah, just still sad about it. Um, but um, he's in a trailer park and he has big dreams. He's going to leave. He's going to make something of his life. It doesn't look like those dreams are going to come together. Just about the only thing he's got going for him is the trailer park has one arcade game. Mm. And it is a very high-tech space shooter game, not unlike sort of the Death Star run Star Wars games. Uh, he gets so good at it one night that he actually breaks the record. And he starts to be like, oh, you know what? Maybe things aren't so bad. Maybe maybe everything's going to be okay. Um, and that's that's when things get a little weird. <laughs> Because the music man shows up, Robert Preston, and he's like, hey, I'm from outer space. And uh, that arcade game wasn't an arcade game. It was actually a... It was uh, a test. It was a test. And you passed the test, and now you get to do the thing for real. You get to be a starfighter. And in, you're going to... a real war that's been happening, and we've been sending out these video game cabinets yeah. to all across the galaxy. Trying to find people yeah. who could beat them. You're one of the few who did, and so congratulations, we're going to shove you into a space Harrier jet and send you off to kill. And he's like, what? TF, like, man. Isn't that, isn't that exactly what you wanted? You want to get out of here? Not that bad. And so he actually completely rejects the call, not realizing that a whole bunch of weird things have already been set in motion, and he's already been replaced by an exact duplicate of himself in order to like sort of make the transition easier and... Lance Guest gets to play both roles, and his his role as an android who kind of hates that this is his day job is really <laughs> funny. But eventually he winds up in outer space, and it's literally just... Imagine if Star Wars was literally just Luke Skywalker and R2-D2 against the Death Star. None of the other ones were there. <laughs> it was just the two of them. Uh, the other alien is this lizard monster played by Dan O'Herlihy, the bad guy from Halloween 3. Which I actually didn't realize until just recently, which is hilarious to me. Well, he's in makeup, so you wouldn't recognize him. Yeah, I didn't him, recognize yeah. him this whole time. I, I don't know why I didn't think it was Dan O'Hurley, but it was. Um, this movie was an early, one of the earliest films to prominently use computer graphics. Yeah. It, it effectively, shows. too. Yeah, it, it's, it's very effectively. In fact, a lot of the techniques in terms of the, the way that they used them and shot them and the way that they incorporated them into the film... Um, are a lot more organic than something like the early Tron was. Uh, mm. It holds up really, really well. The, the CG isn't great, obviously, by modern standards. It's pretty mm. low res. But honestly, you'll get, you're going to get swept up into it because the writing is really, really good. The acting is really, really good. The characters are extremely fun. Yeah. The score is amazing. Oh, somebody notable did the score. Uh, they, um... Let's see. The score was by Craig Safin. Oh, okay, never mind. Uh, who, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know who that is. He, he did the music for Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. He did the music for Cheers. That's probably what he's best known oh, for. Okay. Um, just an absolutely wonderful, like, cheer-inducing John Williams-esque, without being John Williams, uh, fanfare. Uh, mm. That I kind of prefer to the Star Wars theme. Maybe that's just <laughs> me. Um, it's a hoot. There's great writing in it. Uh, mm. I, my favorite line, and I, I quote it all the time, is uh, death is a primitive concept. I prefer to believe that they are fighting evil in another dimension. Great line. Uh, but, um, yeah, what I like about this movie, in addition to just being really well made, is that you're, you called it wish fulfillment. In the 1980s, there was this gen still this general sense that uh, when you're an adult, you're not going to read comics anymore. 
you're not going to be interested in horror movies anymore. You're not mm. going to play video games anymore. You're going to put all that those, childish those are, stuff those, away. Those are toys, yeah. Yeah. You put all that childish stuff away. And movies like The Last Starfighter, and for me in particular, The Monster Squad, were the movies that argued, in a very literal sense, obviously, but, but that n- the, knowing these things are actually, like, not just useful, but will save the world. Yeah, the, the world will literally be saved from an alien invasion and or Dracula because you were really into kid stuff. Um, on a practical level, watching these movies as a kid made me realize, okay, Dracula probably isn't real. I don't know for certain. But what I do know for certain is that being interested in this stuff can be a career. People make <laughs> movies out of this stuff. People that yeah. can make visual effects out of this stuff. You can make the video games that you care about. And I think that spirit is something that The Last Starfighter keeps alive really, really beautifully. Um there is a genuine respect for video games mm. as a representation of an experience where you are playing a video game in order to transport yourself somewhere. It doesn't mean that you don't that you're not going to go. Mm. It doesn't mean you're not going to do anything with your life. It is not necessarily a waste of time. It is a preparation for it, much in the same way that reading books about something that excites you and a career that you might have end up taking for yourself prepare yeah. you for that. Uh, so it has a genuine respect for an art form that was really not respected at the time, on top of just being a really, really great sci-fi movie. So I love it to pieces. Yeah. If you've never seen it, it's great. Please yeah, do. Yeah. Um, so I, I do. You, I guess I, that was on I, my list as well. So I guess you get to do go, another one. Go so, yeah. right back around to me. Like bada bing, bada boom. Um, okay, where am I going to go here next? Here. All right, I am going. I've, I've to... I've covered four. How many have you done so far? I've done three. All right, yeah. So do your fourth. Okay, uh, my next pick. Oh, it's so hard to pick. All right, I'm going to pick a movie... <laughs> Just what, what, do, what do you want to I'm going to pick a movie that I, I saw it in preparation for this because I missed it when it came out. Okay. And I've heard a lot of people say it's the best video game movie ever made. I don't think it is. But I do think it captures the spirit of it very well. And I like it a heck of a lot better than I like the original, which was also, which was just sort of fine. Mm. Uh, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Sonic the Hedgehog 2. <laughs> really? Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is a very cute film. Uh, if you saw Sonic the Hedgehog 1, and there's a decent chance you did, it was a bit of a blockbuster. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is a CGI creation. He comes from an alternate reality where... Great teeth. Really great teeth. Uh, he uh, Hedgehogs can be anthropomorphic and bipedal and wear shoes and go super fast. Um, and, and not look anything like actual hedgehogs. Not look a damn thing like an actual hedgehog. And that's fine. It's another dimension. Who are we to judge? Um he comes to Earth and he's hiding out on Earth because there are forces aligning against him. Uh, but he it's ends a, up a bag of magical rings that bad guys covet. Yeah, and uh, he ends up running into a, a small town cop played by James Marsden, and they go off on an adventure where they are chased around the world by uh, Doctor Robotnik, hmm. played by Jim Carrey, who coming back to do his shtick after many years he off. He hasn't yeah. done shtick in a while, hmm. and you know what? He's doing the shtick great. He's yeah, very he's, funny. He's, he's selling it. He's, he's exactly what kids want to see. Um, that first movie is just okay. Yeah, I, it, I agree. It's, I, per, I saw, it's perfectly I saw it, fine. It's functional. It's not a bad movie, but it's just kind of a, it's just another wacky J, James Morrison on a road trip with a CGI cartoon mm. movie, of which, which there are surprisingly many. Uh, <laughs> it was in a movie Hop as yeah. well, which is identical. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 incorporates more elements of the video games, incorporates more broad characters rather than not very interesting human characters and becomes a bit more of an adventure. Uh, 
Dr. Robotnik escapes the dimension he's in with the help of an echidna named Knuckles, played by Idris Elba, who is legitimately very funny. Uh, <laughs> Knuckles is absolutely like super intense, and he's on like a mission of vengeance, uh, and he's completely oblivious to any time he says something absolutely absurd, mm. and that makes the jokes consistently funny. Um, they're chasing Sonic around because they're trying to find uh, a, a, like the Chaos Emerald, which will uh, break everything. Big old oh, MacGuffin. Of course, that thing. It's a big old MacGuffin. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Sonic, it turns out, has a super fan, uh, a, a, a fox with two tails from who's been watching him from another planet and is a huge fan, has decided to come down and help, and they become good friends. Aww. And they go on various adventures, and they get in a dance competition, and... Um, <laughs> What the hell is this movie, dude? Have you not seen, you not, seen the sequel? Not the sequel. I saw the first one. Yeah. And, yeah but no, I didn't see Sonic yeah. Hedgehog 2. It's, it's the, the additional CG characters actually give it a lot of life. Weird. Okay. Because it used to just be Sonic in a real person world, and it was fine, but like having him play off of characters who are just as kind of broad and weird as he is mm. makes it feel more lived in, makes it feel more like you're really enjoying the game on its own level. The game okay. is usually used to be a side scroller. Now they're more open world, but um, people like the characters of Sonic the Hedgehog and it's fun to see them interact because when they're well-written, they're funny. Um, these are funny characters doing funny things and they, uh, there's, they're so lonely, mm. which I think is interesting. It's a that, theme of both of the movies. Yeah. They're so they're, incredibly they're lonely right? that, that their interactions with each other carry a little bit more weight than you might think. It's still pretty flighty, but mm. it's not, it's it's not um, it's not weightless. Okay, it's actually it, it you, you do care a little bit. And there's a lot more um, actual adventure stuff. There's like underground caves and things, and I appreciate that they establish. I, th- I forget if they did this in the first movie uh, that uh, water levels suck, and they're like <laughs> Sonic's kryptonite, and so like he's oh, just oh funny. no water ah uh, that's always fun. Uh, Jim Carrey's having the time of his life. It ends in a big robot fight, and that's cool. Um, it's just, it's got the spirit. And I think that's the thing that makes it really work. It's got the spirit, it's got the characters. Idris is legitimately funny. Um, there's a very unexpectedly weird wedding sequence, which I appreciate. <laughs> okay. Uh, which I don't want to ruin in case get he... married? No, but he's there, and it goes bad in a way that... At first it goes bad in a way that you expect, because like, okay, Sonic the Hedgehog is going to ruin this wedding, isn't it? Yeah. Then it goes bad in a way I did not expect at all, and that's a weird fucking joke y'all went with, and kudos for going all the way with it. That's all I'm going to say. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it, this is a movie where I, it's just, I like it fine. Yeah. It's better than the original. I, I, I don't know if we can get a better Sonic the Hedgehog movie than this. I'll be impressed if we manage, but this is pretty dang good. It's a very solid kid entertainment. I didn't. I, there's a, there's quite a few movies I could pick oh. that are perfectly good for what they are. Video game adaptations, mm. and I decided not that they could dominate the list. And, and then mostly, I just was saying it's fine. Yeah, you know they're they're fun, and I decided not to just be like, yeah, Uncharted's fun. <laughs> Uncharted's fine. Yeah, and I, I liked it when Ram- I finally Rampage saw it. Rampage is okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah well. Rampage might make less. But like like there's there's definitely a lot of video game movies that are just okay. Mm-hmm. This one's better than just okay, but not so much that if there were better video game movies, it would be guaranteed to make a list. Okay. It's it's not, but it I'm glad it was able to make room for it because it's a very fun film. Yeah. Alright, what's your next pick? Um 
Okay. I've uh, I've seen all the Pokemon movies. Yeah, I knew this was coming. Yeah, I've seen I've seen I've seen them all. Gotta see them all. There's, there's Pokemon. Tw- Twenty four of those fuckers. Are you including the live action movie? Yes. Okay. Um, so I know of which I speak, but okay. I can point to the best ones. Okay. In the Pokemon movie series. Do it. Uh, the Pokemon movie series came out in the late nineties with uh, Pokemon the first movie. Aptly titled. It's the worst one. Really? They, 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 they never got worse than they, that. They stumbled out of the gate. Well, why is, is it so bad that it's like the worst? It, 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 it's, it is caustic and obnoxious. Okay. They don't bother to sort of establish the world of Pokemon in any kind of meaningful way. I mean, the, the kids who are watching the Pokemon the glass. cartoon series you know, understand everything that's going on, but there's no explanation for outsiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's this really bizarre cloning plot. Um, it, it's one of those things that you only like it if you saw it when you were the, just the right age. They kind of got better as time passed. Okay. And after a while, you begin to see you began to see that uh, the Pokemon movies are a travelogue. Yeah. Uh, the premise of the Pokemon TV series is uh, it takes place in parallel universe where animals are now all super powered and intelligent. They're Pokemon. Yeah. And uh, there's technology that allows you to transform them into energy and store them in little marbles on your belt. Makes you wonder why we invented that. They don't seem to mind. Yeah. (laughs) They kind of, do we ever get to see uh, inside a Pokeball and see them like chilling out on like a hammock watching TV? Not that I know that it's nice. (laughs) I like to know that it's nice. I don't know. They become energy. I imagine it's like weird existential abstract experience. See, that sounds like it could be hell. Maybe so. You know, just to be like converted into energy, but then not free to disperse. And you're, uh, and the, the their owners let them out occasionally just to say, fight. Yeah, yeah, well, no, just to, to to hang out, but then also to fight. Yeah, uh, yeah, and they they engage in these fighting tournaments, and yeah. every one of the Pokemon movies is about a premise that's based on animal fights. Yeah, imagine imagine any the, other movie where the whole premise is our heroes are heroic animal fighters. Who will randomly run into people <laughs> like, and say, "My pet will fight your pet until one of them is knocked unconscious yeah, or like worse." A, if they're like dog fighters or something, yeah. and they're like, the heroes, that's but such the, a weird. But thing. the message of every one of these movies is f- fighting is wrong. You don't want to fight because <laughs> when you fight and collect Pokemon, you know what the series is based on. Yeah, which then we you'll will like, go back to then at you'll the end of this movie. Upset the balance of nature. Like you'll actually do something <laughs> like apocalyptic in any one of these movies. Uh-huh. Uh but it's a travelogue more yeah. than anything. You go and, explore uh, different parts of the world, meet different Pokémon. Exactly. Yeah. Uh the the main character is 10. He he sleeps on a bedroll. He just wanders he's a hobo. Hey, he just wanders wa- the earth. Yeah, wanders like and kung fu. He, he wanders the earth. He camps out. They they don't get a lot of food. They're kind of impoverished. Yeah. But they are constantly going into these science fiction wonderlands. And uh, in in one of the, like these urban centers where everything is sustainable and everything is mm. just sort of clean and beautiful. Uh, it's, it's very aspirational in a lot of ways. Uh, and one of my favorites is called um, Pokemon Destiny Deoxys, uh, which takes place in essentially like a futuristic Quebec. Uh, okay. Where everything's powered by wind and there's all these bizarre creatures around. Is, is that your pick? No. Okay. The best Pokemon movie mm. was called uh, Pokemon the Movie colon I Choose You. Okay. Uh, 
which was one of the more recent ones. They actually kind of rebooted the timeline a couple times. Uh, they remade uh, Pokemon, the first movie, in CGI. It's just as bad as the original. Uh, but then they restarted it, and they told the story of, like, the first few episodes of the TV series. The origin of Ash Ketchum. Exactly. Yeah. How, how Ash came to be a Pokemon trainer, how mm. he first befriended Pikachu, the little electrical mouse. I remember. Everybody knows Pikachu. Yes. And... Uh, wouldn't you know it, it actually, like, functions as a real movie? <laughs> like, they actually bother to, like, establish characterization and give you stakes and have people relate to each other in kind of, like, a believable kind of a way? It, it was one of the first Pokemon movies that feels like they're trying to really walk you through what Pokemon is. Mm. Not even the TV series did that, really. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of exposition. They explain a heck of a lot, but it all feels very artificial in a toyetic kind of a way. And that's a, a big issue with Pokemon, is that it's all commercial. Yeah, it's here to sell... I mean, all movies are commercial. They're, they need to make money because they cost money to make. But then there are the movies that are there to sell you other things. Yeah, yeah. Not and, just and, itself. And I feel like Pokemon is weirdly yeah, trying to sell the Pokemon cards, the Pokemon games. It's it's, it's just a, weird. It's to be expected, uh, honestly. Well, since the 80s, def- so, definitely. So, some, but, movies, yeah. some movies do that, mm. you know, they I mean, a shit, lot, James Bond is trying to sell that, you a yeah. fancy watch. I'm like, no one even wears them anymore. Well, and even, even the Marvel yeah. t- movies are like, well, yeah, but there's more Marvel movies, so go see that one. Well, like, Mar- but Marvel sell products, too. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like Black Panther, Wakanda, like Black Panther, like Black Panther. I just realized it. Black Panther. But once, once you start, like, because it feels like those are real movies, right? Those are Oscar-winning movies, uh-huh. those Black Panther movies. They're really about something. But they also sell Doritos, and they'll put the characters on Doritos. Mm. And there's something about it that kind of undermines that a little bit, doesn't mm. it? Uh, that's how I felt about there's a commercial making the rounds right now as of recording. Uh, Ant-Man Quantumania just came out. Ant-Man and the Wasp, sorry. Quantumania just came out. Um, and there's a commercial where... Uh, oh, he's drinking like non-alcoholic beer Paul or something. Rudd yeah. is, is sitting... Like he's in the ad. Paul Rudd is in the ad and he's drinking a Heineken. And an ant tries to say something. And if you look carefully, you see the ant is trying to tell him there's like a... A warning light, like you're needed, Ant Man, that kind of thing. It doesn't read at all, and he misinterprets it as the ant is judging him for drinking a beer. Mm. And Paul Red says, "Don't worry, it's non-alcoholic." And I'm like, "Wow, what a great commercial for kids!" Because this is a kids movie. You realize that, right? This is a PG-13 superhero movie that look, is they, they selling tickets that. to Disneyland. They they also know their audience. Uh, you know, no. a, a great number of adults see these sure. Marvel films. I'm not saying they and, uh, don't. Yeah. But I'm saying is it's a weird message if you think about it. That a it's perfectly okay if it's non alcoholic. So kids mm. drink up. Uh, B even if we are only selling the non alcoholic version, what we're doing is we're trying to say, hey kids, your favorite superheroes prefer this brand of beer. So when the time <laughs> is right, drink Heineken, and it's kind of fucked up if you think about it. Yeah. Like, they're trying to sneak that in. And, like, if if Joe Camel was back, we'd all be mad. But because it's Ant-Man and it's not alcoholic beer, we're fine with it? It is not alcoholic beer. It is not alcoholic beer, but it's still selling the Heineken brand. And when you think Heineken, do you think non-alcoholic? No. Exactly. I think it's a little insidious, is my point. And so I'm not a huge fan of when movies... It's one thing to go out of your way to sell a toy in an Mm. action movie, because fine. You get to to pretend the movie is going on in your... On your bedroom, you know, as a little kid. But yeah, uh, uh, when it's when it's other stuff, I'm sorry, like you, you start pushing it, the more you push it. You know, uh, when it comes to Pokemon, uh, it's sort of met in the middle of all of like these different kind of weird marketing strategies because mm-hmm. it's super powered animals. 
but they're cute superpower animals. Yep. So it's it's like high octane, but also adorable. Yeah. Uh, but it's also about collecting. It's sort of like yeah. tapping into this sort of collector's impulse that a lot of people have and a lot of little kids have. Uh, in fact, when they uh, distributed it in America, the the tagline was "Gotta catch them all, mm-hmm. gotta collect everything, gotta buy, gotta buy them." We're trying to infuse this uh, consumer mentality yeah, in the kids yeah. at as early an age as possible. It's, again, pretty insidious. Uh, and most of the movies kind of have that lurking in the back because every time they put out a new movie, it's to advertise a new generation of the games, a whole new. Uh, you know, they introduce one hundred new Pokemon into the the canon, so yeah. here we're going to put those in a movie. Uh, because I Choose You is going sort of like back to basics, mm-hmm. they actually had to make a movie. Yeah. And uh, it, a lot of that commercialism, uh, which is always going to, going to be an adjunct of the Pokemon world, at least sort of falls away. And it feels like they're they're not depending on uh, kids' foreknowledge of these creatures to mm-hmm. have them enjoy it. They're actually yeah. trying to introduce you to P- Pikachu for the first time. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. Um, Ikue Otoni is the actress who plays Pikachu. She's been playing Pikachu since the start, since 1997, when nice. it first started uh, animated. She has made a whole career playing a character who could only say one word. Yeah. And I I think that's admirable. I think it's great. Given the limitation, yeah. I hope that, that she's been getting a lot of money. I, I hope they haven't just been looping her work. Like, how many times yeah. have you said Pikachu? We're good. Yeah. We don't, we're, you probably said it enough. We, we have enough recordings. It's yeah. like um, uh, the TV show 24. Uh-huh. Uh, every hour of 24, every episode of 24 would take place within an hour. So yeah. they would, one, every one, episode would... One hour of show per yeah. one hour of real So time. every episode yeah. would open with a star, Kiefer Sutherland, saying, the following takes place between 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. Mm. Or the following takes place between yeah. 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. And, and for the first season, he would do that that recording originally every time. No, no, the first couple of seasons he would do that. It took him a couple of seasons to realize we've got this in the can. <laughs> we don't need to do it anymore. You're not adding much to it at that point. We, but now we have a couple of different variations, so we can mix it up just fine. So it took him a while to realize that they could they could, they could cut a few corners. Yeah, Ikue um, Otoni, I think, uh, still does it. I think she still does it every time. Yeah. Um, the American and uh, the American dubs has a, a few interesting actors. Um, if you mm. listen to the commentary track for Pokemon Forever, the fourth Pokemon movie, right, uh, which I've done, uh, they actually talk about the way Pokemon was put together in sort mm. of a sophisticated way that kids would understand, but is actually about the actual making of things, right. Uh, and they talk about uh, you know, importing it from Japan and how they had to sort of dub things over themselves. One of the producers of the show, uh, they need an actor to play a, uh, one of the Pokemon called Charmander. Mm. And th- the producer stepped is like, I'll just do it. This this car- this little Charmander is just going to be in one episode, right? Because they hadn't had a future episode. It turned out that yeah. character like, had this huge role. It's one, of the, like, most, it's one the, of the most famous Pokemon. It's, yeah. it's in all, a lot of them, yeah. So the producer didn't even know what he was doing oh, and now no. had to keep on doing it. <laughs> That's funny. I also give a uh, got to give a shout out to the late Matty Blaustein, who is the original voice of uh, Meowth. Oh yeah, in, uh, the English voice of Meowth. Yeah, Meowth is the only Pokemon yeah. who can actually speak English, at least until uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the live action movie based on a video yeah, game. But yeah, but Meowth is sort of like this wise wise guy, uh, sort of mm. uh, Warner Brothers kind of a character. Yeah, uh, Matty Blaustein, uh, uh, trans actress. 
Oh, that's awesome. I yeah. didn't realize that. So, uh, Wait, I think I did know that, actually. But yeah. still, very, very cool. But yeah. uh, but she's passed along. So. Yeah, I, I, I love Meowth. When I watched, yeah. I, I didn't Meowth, watch a lot Meowth of... Meowth was my favorite. I, I never really played the Pokemon video games. I never really played the card games. But the TV show was kind of ubiquitous in the late 90s. and uh, So I saw some episodes here and there. And Meowth was always the character I gravitated to. Because I felt like the world wasn't made for Meowth. Hmm. Like Meowth was just as out of place in the Pokemon world as I was. And I always had this vision of taking the character of Meowth Mm. out of the Pokemon universe and giving him a career in other movies. Just Meowth becomes an actor. Mm. So, like, I had this idea of, like, you know, you do a movie like uh, Music of the Heart or uh, Dangerous Minds about, like, a teacher coming in and, like, inspiring a whole class of kids in kind of a shitty school to make something of themselves. And there's always that one principal who's, like, kind of getting in their way. They're not evil, but they're very misguided or they've been, like, downtrodden <laughs> by the world. And that character would be played by Meowth, but we never talk about it. <laughs> like, it's just, he just, he's playing the George Zunza role. That's it. He just, here's who we got. So I always liked Meowth, and I always wanted yeah, more from yeah. Meowth. Um, I like the, the, the Pokemon world yeah. is is strange and vast and difficult to get into. It's very and weird. It's also, uh, I, and I agree that it is incredibly obnoxious. This is why so, yeah. a lot of people just can't get into it. They can't get past sort of the, the constant screeching animals and the weird rules they're constantly yelling mm-hmm. about. You either accept um, the premise or you don't yeah, with yeah. Pokemon, and that's kind of what it boils down to. Um, I think the video games probably help, like the games help a lot, whether it's the card game or the video yeah, well, game. Uh, well, the, the games you are get very personally invested. Yeah. Well, you get personally invested at that point, and like mm. you become to rely on your Pokemon, and as a result, you have more of emotional attachment to them, even though they're fictional things. Um, I never saw any of the Pokemon feature films except Pokemon Detective Pikachu, okay. which did not make my list, but it is fun. There's some fun yeah. stuff in that movie, and I don't dislike that movie. It just uh, didn't it didn't really stick with me <laughs> uh, the way that some of the other video, even the not very great video game movies, did. Okay. Um, one that did stick with me, maybe not in a plot perspective, because there's no plot to speak of other than giant monsters or giants sometimes. <laughs> Uh, and that is, I, I already said it, so I'm not going to beat her oh, on the bush. Yeah. Rampage. <laughs> I, I like Rampage more uh, beca- because of my foreknowledge of the arcade game. Sure, and that's fine. And the movie, like, the movie dispenses of a lot of the, the raucous fun of the mm. game. Because in the game, you play as the monsters. Sure. And you are, you're controlling a, a giant gorilla, a giant lizard, or a giant wolf man. Giant Wolfman? Indeed, a giant Wolfman. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I always wondered: that, did that, a giant wolf bite a guy, or did like a wolf bite a giant guy? A uh, dangerous food additive. That's what they say. That's that's they actually that's, give they I, give I, the or, no, the origins. No, I think it, I think and, a, I think a giant wolf bit a guy. But uh, sure, but uh, yeah. you are smashing buildings as the player, yeah. and you're like reaching in windows and eating people. The, eating humans gives you energy in that game. Yeah, it's very uh, it's a very chaotic experience. Yeah. It's very much that, kids uh, blowing things up in their brains kind of game. That chaos is sadly absent from the movie. The movie well, is they try to do like a little bit more of a I think a kaiju film. Well, I think I think the vicarious chaos is yeah. a little absent. Um, yeah, in the in the movie, the the monsters are uh, big animals. They were normal sized animals. They got exposed to whatever, and now they're really really big animals. And Dwayne Johnson plays um, a guy who works in animal conservation, and one of his animals is a large uh, white 
a gorilla. Yeah, George. George. Yeah. And uh, George and a very, like a giant, cro- like a George and a crocodile and a wolf all get exposed to these things. And they become really gigantic and they cause a lot of chaos. And um, that's basically the movie. There's an evil corporation. There's some government stuff. But basically there are these giant monsters. And Dwayne Johnson's like, well, that's not good. And then they start fighting. And they beat each other and they're using a building and ah, I'm a monster. <laughs> and then it's like, oh no, there's a big wolf there. Ah, that's probably not good. I'm also a monster. Ah, and then they start fighting. And then the, and the crocodile wolf can fly and the wolf can fly, by the way. And then the crocodile shows up and it's like, monster as well. And like, ah, shoot. Because it's PG-13. And then they fight against some more. And like, ah, scale. Ah, Dwayne Johnson. Ah, the movie. That's that's as succinct a description of that movie as you could possibly get. Some video games mm-hmm. are chaos. Yeah. And some video games are about enjoying chaos. You like blowing stuff up. You like trudging on things. Yeah. One of my favorite video games ever is a video game called uh, War of the Monsters. Just War uh, of the Monsters. Which is a little bit like Rampage, but it was for the PlayStation 2, and you get to play one of several giant monster creatures. You can play as like a giant praying mantis, or a giant ape, or a giant robot. Um, and it's a fighting game, but instead of just being on like like a podium somewhere, or on a stage, or in like a, a ring, you're in like four or five city blocks. Mm. And you're running around and like you're like pulling radio towers out of the ground and like throwing them and impaling them on your opponent. There's a really cool bit in one of the levels where if you look off in the distance, you'll see a UFO like outside the map. Uh huh. And if you pick up a car and if you throw the car at the UFO, it triggers a tidal wave that demolishes the entire map. <laughs> and it's that level of just pure inspired chaos. And I love that game. It's so much fun. Uh-huh. Um, at its heart, War of the Monsters is... Uh, sorry, at its heart, Rampage, mm. is a kaiju story. That's the thing that makes it translate to the screen. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's fine. Let's just do an American kaiju story, and we're going to... It's going to star Dwayne Johnson, because why the fuck not? It's going to star Naomi Harris, because she was available. It's going to star Mullen Ackerman, because she was very much available. And uh, you know what? What? She's not... She's, fine. It's fine. It's like... I actually like Mullen Ackerman a lot. It's just she's not the most in-demand actor in the world, and it's a pretty mediocre joke. I apologize. But, um, yeah, it's Monster Mayhem. Mm. Neat. Uh, I'm fine with that. I, I guess my issue is I've seen so much better Monster Mayhem yeah. from like actual Godzilla movies. Yeah. There, there's a little bit more of the the little kid thrill to Godzilla movies that is also absent from uh, from Rampage. I think Ra- Rampage is fine for uh, something that they clearly didn't put a lot of thought into. Oh, they they absolutely did not put a lot yeah. of thought into it. No, they put <laughs> in the bare minimum. I don't want them to put more thought into mm. it than this. But, this is uh, all it takes for me. After so many years of like really bad video game movies, uh-huh. like all of these Resident Evil sequels and all the rest yeah, of that shit, Doom. Uh, that they made something kind of decent felt yeah. a little bit like a coup. Well, again, this is this is a, this is the last one on my list where it's it has low ambition. Okay, I think. Um, but I appreciate that this is about all Rampage deserved. 
if I'm being <laughs> frank. And I liked Rampage as a kid, but there's not much yeah. to Rampage. No. Um, if it was a bunch of, it was like three different people being a monster, I mean, it would just turn into the Amazing Colossal Man, wouldn't it? It'd be like, mm. why am I a giant wolf man? I'm sad. <laughs> what sin could a wolf man like, commit in a single lifetime? You, you get all sad, and he starts stress eating, just picking up bystanders, going, munch, munch, munch. I would love to see a scene like that. I mean, that would be funny, don't get me wrong, but it's like, I'm not sure it's a real film. I'm eating um, my problems again. Ah! No. <laughs> I've been great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but Rampage is a hoot. Um, yeah. Again, this was an interesting prompt in that a lot of the films aren't necessarily great movies. <laughs> Some of them are just fun movies. I could have I could have stacked the deck with a bunch of films that were like about video games and I have a couple of those left. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to make sure it was at least focused on adaptations. And I think Rampage is one of the better adaptations. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Um, I, I have, I'll, I'll talk about a film that is about video games. Okay. Um, uh, because this is one that sort of tapped into a lot of fear about video games and computers when it came mm. out because it came out in 1983 oh I know what you're uh, yeah I'm talking about War Games War Games is on my list and War Games is great War Games is pretty awesome uh, Matthew Broderick a teenager at the time mm-hmm. uh, plays a computer expert guy he loves uh, video games and computer games computers were really mysterious in yeah. movies in the early 1980s they were uh, completely alien to people um, yeah home computers uh, we're talking about not these yeah. giant like rooms full of punch cards and mm-hmm. magnetic tape. The idea that you could have a computer in your house and it could was, communicate with other computers. Yeah, that it was, was like this really strange alien it, concept. It's like how powerful <clears throat> is that? What can that do? Yeah, and, I remember uh, yeah. when uh, Superman three came out. Yeah. Um, one of the premises yeah. of Superman three is that uh, Richard Pryor, who doesn't really have a lot of skills, plays this guy who just understands they put him in front of a computer but the and the character didn't, doesn't have a lot of skills Richard no. Pryor was very Excuse talented me. Richard Pryor had plenty of skills just so we're clear uh, but yeah he plays a character named Gus who has no skills and uh, over the course of the movie you know this sort of ne'er-do-well criminal guy how they, often do well? ne'er ah. he they put him in front of a computer and lo he can just sort of use it yeah he's a wunderkind like he yeah. just knows how computers work like that's a learned skill you have to figure that like, stuff e- even out even if you it's, are a natural there's it will take you a minute it's pretty, like like technical you know yeah. so the idea that computers were so strange to people they thought it was like you needed a special kind of a brain to understand mm-hmm. them he's the uh, mozart of computers uh matthew broderick is a similar character yeah. he's this young young buck who understands what computers are all he's about. He's a teenager, and he's preternaturally yeah. gifted with computers, yeah. Uh, and he goes, essentially, what was online at the time. He sort of finds these these on these downloadable networks. Yeah. And finds games, and he likes to play them, and he's very good at them. Yeah, he's all very technical. And, and he'll uh, find games that aren't out yet. He's yeah. all very exciting, yeah. And uh, while sort of poking around on this rudimentary network, they don't call it the internet. and mm, the, the, They didn't know what it was going to be called, yeah, but yeah. Uh, he finds a game called Thermonuclear War. I think it was Global Thermonuclear Global War. Global Thermonuclear War. Yeah. And uh, it's like, well, uh, you can either choose to be the U.S., you can choose to be the Russians. It's like, oh, I'll be the Russians. It'll be fun. I'll blow up the U.S. Yeah. What he doesn't know is that he's hacked into the Pentagon computer yeah. by accident. And he is controlling the nuclear codes. And he is 
by playing this game, bringing the, the Earth to the brink of thermonuclear war. Yes. The computer, it turns out, also has this sort of like rudimentary machine intelligence. It's yeah. starting to develop its own uh, artificial intelligence. So it's weirdly like advising him what to do and what not to do in thermonuclear war. The, the computer has been programmed by its by its creator who sees it as like a child yeah. uh, to want to play games. Yeah. Uh, and that makes it valuable in terms of like military strategy because that's how you approach mm-hmm. military strategy on that level. You yeah. know, it's like a game of chess. So the idea is the computer is just like, oh, this will be fun. Mm. Let's do it. Let's play Let's play yeah. global thermonuclear war. Uh, we don't want it to do that. Yeah. And when Matthew Broderick <laughs> realizes what he's done, he realizes that it's somehow up to him to try to put the genie back in the bottle and try to prevent this computer from just completing the program, mm. which, which is would, all it was designed to do. Which would end the world, yeah. 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 Um, and and the movie ends. I, I don't want to oh, say what it is. Such a good ending. Uh, it, it's it's one. It's really one of the better film endings. Uh, it's a, where it's a brilliant ending. Oh my yeah, god! Good, I wish a great I could sci-fi ending. Uh, so I, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but yeah, so just, satisfying though. The, and it's, the, the way it all plays conceptually, out conceptually, it's great. And I think it was John Badham directed this. John right? Badham, Who yeah. did uh, Saturday Night Fever. Um, films it great. The score is great. The editing in that sequence is inca- is just uncanny because it should be boring to watch. <laughs> it should literally be boring to watch, but instead it's the most riveting goddamn thing. This movie is so smart. This movie has so many like wonderful characters in it. Like everyone is like really rich, even if they only have a few lines of dialogue. Um And I think it speaks to a lot of our sort of What am I what am I saying here? I think it speaks to a lot of our concerns about the way we approach the world, the way young people approach the world as a big old game. Yeah. And they don't realize that their actions can have consequences and that there is a larger world stage and there are more important things to worry about than video games. While also respecting computers and video games and that aspect of life in the industry. Mm. Um, it's pretty well researched for the type of movie it is at the time it came out. And it's reasonably, mm. reasonably accurate. Yeah. Um, a lot of things that we take for granted in movies now that everyone knows about were introduced in war games to the extent that they had to put whole scenes together just to introduce the idea of a back door. Like, he yeah. has to go see tech guys. Like, I can't get into this one computer system. It's locked. And they say, well, some programmers leave a back door, so all I got to do is figure out who the programmer is and what they would have used as a password. Mm. And, you know, then you watch a movie like Hackers, and the whole movie is based on that, and they barely feel the need to explain it. Um so, it's really formative mm. as a movie as well. And I think it's a movie that was very successful, and right, rightly so. And its success kind of laid a lot of foundations so that other movies about computers could have an easier time of it. Yeah. But yeah, it's such a great thriller. Yeah, I, I, it's I really really good. No, I love it, the piece. Of, it, it, you know, I, I decided that it would, to me, it felt wrong not mm. to give my number one to a video game adaptation. Okay. If I didn't, this would be my number one. Okay. This is just such an amazing motion picture. Right. I love this movie. Um, okay, well, I, I picked that as well, so you could pick oh. the next one. Uh, what do I want to pick next? I um, so I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to change mine around a little oh, bit. Oh, snap. Um, I'm going to choose one that actually just came out, because this is one of the few... In- War Games was re- uh, got a sequel um, in, <laughs> yeah. in like the mid-2010s. Yeah. Did which more was- than one, I think? Pardon? I think it might have gotten more than one. Uh, yeah, I think I yeah. think that, that straight to video. I think that sequel also got a got an additional sequel. But um, 
when they redid it, they tried to do an interactive film. And uh, what you could do is you watch it on a laptop and yeah. then you could click on whoever was speaking. It was like a video call. Yeah. And depending on who you were watching, the story would change a little bit. Um, but you did unless you were knew that ahead of time. Yeah, you then, didn't know what would... You don't know, so... Yeah, yeah it's kind of fly by... I, I watched, like, three quarters of the movie before I realized I could do that, so... <laughs> so that, 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 the interactivity of that movie didn't really work yeah. out, but yeah. that, that was the idea, is that you can sort of alter the story a little bit. So right. it, it itself was, like, a little bit of a video game unto itself. Okay. Um, Netflix has figured out a technology where you actually can choose what they call in video games a branching narrative. I wish I thought of this. This is clever. And yeah. and you can actually change you know, what the story is going to be depending on uh, what you select. You can actually do a choose-your-own-adventure. A decision can be made by the character. You get to select what it is, and the story will go off depending on that. Yeah. Um, they made a movie set in the 1980s about video game programmers who are getting embroiled in a scandal about who's stealing uh, like information and like, ripping off this game, and it's getting them all in trouble. Uh, and they die or they don't, mm-hmm. depending on the kinds of selections you make. It's called yeah. Bandersnatch. It was yeah. the Black Mirror feature film. Yeah. And it was an interactive film. And this is the only time I've played an interactive movie. Oh, cool. That actually, like, functioned. And the way you read this movie is going to depend on what story you get, of course. Yeah. Everyone's uh, going to have it slightly. Even if you try to watch it multiple times. Yeah. You're going to get different experiences. And in mm-hmm. fact, depending on how you watch it, sometimes if you go back another time... Mm-hmm. Your options might change because yeah. you've of things you've done in the past because it's a story where time gets kind of wibbly wobbly yeah. uh, on purpose. Uh, the, but yeah, the ending I got the first time I went through uh-huh. was was sort of like the metaphysical ending. I got that one too. where they kind of like yeah. turned back in on itself a little bit. I got, I got that and, the second time I watched it. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, I got that the first time. It's like okay, that's okay. really clever. Yeah, uh, where where you at one point one of your selections is the Netflix logo. <laughs> And that's yeah. all I'm going to say, but yeah, uh, yeah it's it, it gets really, really odd after that. Um, uh, it, it's really tersely filmed. It has Will Poulter in it, an actor I really admire. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and it feels like the characters are, like, a little bit off balance, so the fact that thing, reality seems to be changing around them as you select them is a part of the tone of the film that they're doing. Yeah. Uh, interactivity and films typically don't go together. As, as we were saying earlier, video games are an in- interactive medium. Films are not. Films are a, a storytelling medium where you just sort of hear what the well, storyteller is saying. Bit, somewhat more passive, at least in their construct. I don't know, but they're they're both storytelling mediums, depending on how you use them. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Bandersnatch is the one that sort of found a balance. I think it, it was able to be you know sort of gamified because you're constantly, you have to choose what, what the next path is. If you don't choose, it chooses for you. Hmm. Uh, you know, if, if you're not into the interactive element mm-hmm. of it, if you want to see that as sort of like part of the, the narrative, then you can as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but w- when you do that, you can actually sort of like unlock this thing. And again, like I said, I got the, the metaphysical ending yeah. and that played in perfectly to what type of a movie it was. I thought it was a very interesting media experiment. And I think it's worth, definitely worth checking out as terms of the way, um, uh, sort of cinema can evolve if you no no I think it's a really really good pick and honestly I wish I thought of it I don't know why that didn't occur to me Mm. Um, because 
Yeah, the idea of the branching narrative, I mean, it, it extends back to other different mediums. I mean, Choose Your Own Adventure was doing that as well. It's yeah. a series of books where you read a few pages and then it gives you two yeah. options or more take, more. Take the path on the left, go to this page, take yeah. the path on the right, go to the other page. Yeah, yeah and um, you know, that's I read those a ton as a kid and I always had fun with them. Um, and part of the fun isn't just doing it once like, oh, that's the one I got. So be it. It's actually going back and doing it a couple times, yeah, just making different paths. Yeah, and and that's a lot of what video gaming is. Um, it's about creating a path mm. and creating what seems to the player to be options, when in actuality all the options are predetermined. But if you're mm. enough options, it, it, it feels like you're in control. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it can be very frustrating when you're playing a game like that or when you're playing like The Quarry or some other uh, sort of interactive cinema type game and you want to be more creative than the game is allowing you to be. Yeah. Which is frustrating. But I appreciate that Bandersnatch is a video game movie that is itself a video game and it's actually Mm. a lot of fun and it does have some things to say about philosophy and video game design and... Um, it's it's a hoot. I think it's a good pick. I, I seriously just wish I thought of it because it okay. would have made my list, but it didn't. And I'm not gonna pretend otherwise. Um, I wanted to reserve one slot. I could have put a bunch of these, but I wanted to reserve one slot on my list for a movie which is not explicitly a video game adaptation, nor mm. is it explicitly about video games. But it is a movie that employs video game storytelling. Without the existence of video games, yeah, the way that this film unfolds would have been entirely different or the movie might not exist at all Mm. because the concept wouldn't have occurred to anybody because video games broke open the door. And there's a lot of different examples of this. You can look at um, Edge of Tomorrow has a checkpoint system, which we're very familiar with in video games. Uh, You die, you go back to the beginning of the stage. You go back to the beginning of the stage and you keep going until you successfully beat the level. And that's basically the whole movie. Run Lola Run is the same way. And it came very close to picking Run Lola Run. I came very close to picking uh, Funny Games. Oh, that's the, an interesting. The pick. Michael Haneke film, huh. uh, which you could argue has a, like a video game dynamic to it. Uh, there's a, but that would involve like revealing a twist in the movie. Yeah, I don't think that's the, quite fair. But yeah, fair yeah. enough. Uh, there's also another movie I wanted to pick, but it has a twist, and I was like, no, that's not really. Oh, right. I, I think I know what film you're talking about. Yeah, I felt yeah. like I, I, it's the only reason to see the movie, but it's also the thing you, you shouldn't talk about in the movie, and it's <laughs> such a pain in the ass that they did that because now you can't recommend it ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I wanted to make a film that was not usually considered. Uh-huh. video game influence and it was a film that was highly respected and a film that was very explicitly influenced by video games but the director said so himself and this is Sam Mendes' 1917 I, okay I thought that's where you're going I'm surprised yeah. alright so it's a movie I like I didn't love mm-hmm. uh, I know a lot of people loved this movie when it came out and I found it a bit it gimmicky was, but uh, it was a big, big Oscar darling it's a big Oscar darling it won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects and it was nominated for a bunch of others I think it might have won another one. Uh, th- oh, one Best uh, Cinematography, cinematography yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a gorgeous film uh, it's a World War One movie about uh, a guy, uh, two guys actually, uh, on two uh, British soldiers. Two yeah. British soldiers are given an assignment. You have to deliver a message on the other side of no man's land. So you're going to run over there. You're going to try not to get killed. Try to avoid all the bad guys, and you got to get there by a certain time. Because if you don't, they're going to commence with a strategy that's going to get thousands of people murdered, uh, and you need to tell them not to. <laughs> Everything is relying on you two guys. And so the movie follows them as they travel from their trenches 
through the war zone, through a series of misadventures, and then through a battlefield until finally the message can be delivered. And it does so, not literally, but in the style Mm. of all one take. Yeah. The one take movie is not new. The one take movie has been done for a while and it can be very exciting to watch because it's hard to pull off. Even when parts of it are faked and you can tell sometimes more easily than others when they've hidden a cut in a movie like this. Um, But still, the amount of effort it takes to make it look seamless uh, is nothing less than Herculean and I am legitimately impressed by all the things that they managed to pull off in this movie. Um... The specific style of a one-take film that they decided to evoke Mm. wasn't like this kind of uh, whirling dervish birdman kind of vibe. They decided to evoke Red Dead Redemption. In fact, very specifically, Sam Mendes was watching his kids play Red Dead Redemption, which is like a lot of video games that are done in that sort of third person over the shoulder. The camera never cuts unless there's a cutscene. The camera just follows you the entire way. The the character stands in this like in the front middle of the screen and yeah. the, the world rotates around them yeah, the as camera, if they're walking around. The, the camera hovers around them like just over their shoulder and he was like, that's a great cinematic technique. I can do a whole movie like that. And so the movie is done explicitly in the style of video games and if you watch the way that the movie actually unfolds, hmm. many of the scenes unfold in a very explicitly video gamey sort of way. There's a scene early on where they run into um, uh, a, a house that's been kind of bombed out and they rummage around in the house, much like you would rummage around for various supplies and something like Fallout or Oblivion. And one of the things that they find is milk. How convenient. I wonder if that will be important later. And then it turns out later on, we're all going to die if we can't keep this baby from crying. <laughs> Thank God I found that milk. <laughs> Here you go. You found the video game item. Yeah. Yeah. That structure is all throughout it. Uh, Sam Mendes, I think, gets it. I think he understands the cinematic uh, excitement hmm. of having one particular perspective, physical camera perspective, that is malleable enough that it can show you anything, whether it's a mundane conversation or the most exciting thing you've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and I think he gets a lot of mileage out of it. I think he understands how this particular brand of video game visual storytelling functions. And I think he built a really solid movie around that. And I, he spoke specifically about it. And I've talked to other filmmakers who have explicitly said their movie was inspired by video game storytelling, a a movie that people don't talk about very much, but it's very good uh, called cop car. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's about two kids who find an abandoned police car and take it (laughs) and go on a joyride. Uh, And they're incredibly irresponsible. What they don't realize is that the cop, whose car they stole is a corrupt cop who had left it behind because he was in the middle of murdering somebody. And he's played by Kevin Bacon and he's trying to get the cop car back and he's going to have to kill those kids. And the way that the story is structured in terms of solving weird puzzles in terms of like, how do I break into this car when all I have is a shoelace? (laughs) That's very much, I I ask, it's very explicitly inspired by like point and click adventures. So the way that video games are affecting cinematic storytelling goes beyond specific adaptation i think 1917 is one of the more respectable examples and i think it's okay to frame it this way and i want to encourage people to do so because i think it might encourage you to think of video game movies 
outside the box of Mortal Kombat adaptation, you yeah, know? Yeah. So, anyway, 1917. Right. What's your next pick? Uh... That's a good pick, 1917. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I've heard those same interviews with Sam Mendes, who said that yeah. it sort of looks at them from behind. Uh, there, there's, like, so many horrible things in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there is one notable spot where it actually does cut to black. Yeah, yeah. From so it's not, not all, all real time. No, but, no. Uh, that's, that's, and, there's, and there's a time gap there as well, because... No. Nighttime passes. So, so I, yeah. I have one adaptation, one movie. Uh, my number one is about video games. Uh, okay. I'm going to talk about the other one for now, okay. uh, which is actually a documentary about video game players. Okay. And it's it's called The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Yeah, King of Kong uh, is a good documentary. It's, it's a really wonderful documentary about competitive Donkey Kong players, specifically mm. uh, Steve Wiebe, the underdog. Who uh, is trying to beat the record of one Billy Mitchell? Boo hiss! Uh, <laughs> Billy Mitchell, who's sort of like this uh, rock and roll cool guy. He's got like a long, long sort of mullety hair and a mustache, and he owns his own hot sauce business. And he has the uh, the Donkey Kong record, and Steve Wiebe is trying to beat the record. And it goes very deep into the technicals of how these sorts of video game tournaments are recorded. Yeah. Uh, Donkey Kong is an interesting uh, case because you know it came came out uh, in the 1980s when you know video games weren't really concerned about things like narrative or storytelling. Maybe you could extrapolate something out of them, but the the makers clearly weren't doing that. Uh, they were making games of skill, and as such, there was nothing to accomplish. They were meant to extract quarters from people. You yeah. play until you lose. Yeah. So theoretically, they would they were intended to go on infinitely. Yeah, so if you got good yeah. enough, they could go on infinitely. But the games uh, were so rudimentary that they you could only play a couple hundred levels mm-hmm. before it just sort of ran out of brain. Yeah. And it would have what they, call a, they, what they call a kill screen. You just you play it until the game runs out of game. Yeah. Uh, and and they you, you get to see what that when that happens. You, once you yeah. reach a certain level, the character just dies. <laughs> it's like the the game gets tired, and, and the little Mario looking character called Jumpman just dies. Mm. Uh, in order to uh, compete, you have to film yourself playing the game uninterrupted. Yeah, no edits, no nothing. You, you can't record it. You have you to have a, a break. camera. Yeah, yeah, you just have to to show that you're actually doing it. Um, if there's a glitch in the the video cassette, even if it's not it's your fault, a little bit suspicious. Yeah. It's a glitch in Billy Mitchell's cassette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks a little suspicious. Billy Mitchell is such a hot shot that he refuses to compete with Steve Wiebe. Yeah. Uh, he, he sends in a tape eventually, but he doesn't like correspond. He doesn't show up. Uh, uh, Peter Dinklage uh, appeared in a movie called Pixels. It's an Adam yeah. Sandler, uh, Chris, Chris Columbus film produced by Adam Sandler's Happy Madison Company. Yeah, where uh, aliens invade Earth, but they take the form of uh, old arcade cabinet video games like Centipede and Pac-Man. Yeah, and, um, and fun, fun, fun imagery. No, I, yeah. a, a guy in his early 50s is the only guy with the, the video game skills to take him out. Well, because, well, they do a good job of justifying it, actually, mm-hmm. because the whole thing is, A, they're saying that like modern video games are more about experiencing a narrative. It used to be about pattern recognition. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. a very specific skill, and that's a skill that once you've learned it it comes back pretty easily and also there's subtle variations of those games and the version that the aliens are basing it on were literally the ones from like 1981 yeah so a modern version uh, isn't going to train you for it anymore <laughs> it's clever um peter dinklage plays the yeah. video game hotshot in that one and he based his look on the actual billy mitchell like he yeah. put on the, the same hair and the same kind of attitude uh yeah 
it's fascinating because not only do you get to know about sort of the uh, the mechanics of the way these video game tournaments work, but also the ego involved yeah. and the kinds of characters who involve themselves in this. And what a strange pursuit it is to get really good at Donkey Kong. Yeah. Because after a while, it does become this this almost like mindless, weird almost a zen activity you're not really competing anymore you're just sort of doing well you're you're trying to perfect something and Mm -hmm. just because it's something that other people don't respect doesn't mean you're not getting amazing at it yeah and i think that's the thing that king of kong took a lot of people by surprise at when it came out because at first it seems like it's going to be laughable yeah these guys play donkey kong for how long do they play donkey kong hours how seriously are they taking it by then the beauty of a good documentary is that it can show you an experience or a lifestyle or a job that when you before you watch it you can barely wrap your head around mm. and by the end you get it or at the very least you appreciate it and i think at the end of king of kong you appreciate that these people who have a passion we might not share they take it seriously and we know them well enough as people mm. because of the documentary uh that we care a little bit too. Yeah. And that's why King of Kong, I think is a great documentary. It's because it takes something that feels absurd, mm-hmm. but by the end it feels like well, esports it, are a thing. And now it yeah. feels like I, I could watch this now. I'd be interested. I don't know if I'd sit down for the entire run, but I'm sort of fascinated by it. And I hope they do break that record in Donkey Kong. <laughs> Good show. I can get to like maybe level eight on Donkey Kong oh, if I really <laughs> concentrate. Two at best. I just, <laughs> that and the original Super Mario or just Mario Brothers game where you're oh, just yeah. like jumping from pipe to pipe and jumping. I can never fucking do that. Some of those games are, some of them are just not very good by modern standards in yeah. terms of like how their controls work, but mm. some of them work fine and they're just really hard. Yeah. Centipede's really fun because you can yeah. just lean on the fire button and it yeah. you control with a little roll ball. Yeah. It's like a little billiard ball in the, in the path yeah. and you just sort of run your hand across. I, I got cool. really good at Space Invaders. Okay. Like I, there was a time when I could legitimately hold my own in Space Invaders. Like I do okay. Never got good at Pac-Man. I'm great at Ms. Pac-Man. I can get to like the ninth banana. I'm pretty good at That's pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty I, good can, at I can never fucking do it. I, I was okay at Ms. Pac-Man, but I was never good at it. Uh, no, the only arcade cabinet game from that era I was legitimately pretty good at was Space Invaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway. Um, there you go. There you go. Uh, all right, my next three are all video game adaptations. And these three for me... Um, these, for me, I think are the best video game adaptations that we've had so far. Okay. I think they not only adapt the games... Well, one game I didn't play, but like they adapt the games, near as I can tell, very faithfully, or there is the spirit of them very faithfully, but they're also good movies. Mm. I'm debating which one to pick first, because honestly, they could all be tied <laughs> for my number one. I'm going to okay. pick... I'm going to pick Ace Attorney. I I am only vaguely familiar with Ace, Ace Attorney as games, yeah. and I haven't seen the movie. So walk okay. me through this. So uh, Ace Attorney is based on uh, a series of video games, mostly I think for the Nintendo DS, um, about Phoenix Wright. And Phoenix Wright is a lawyer. And you play a lawyer, and you are in a series of cases, and you're trying to defend your client and uncover... Uh, the, the holes in everyone's testimony and find new clues throughout the uh, uh, throughout the, 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 the court case. Phoenix Wright takes place in a world where in the video games it's all very arch and broad. In the movies they make it very, very clear. This is a dystopian future. 
Okay. In the near future... And the, and they, the legal this, system is breaking down. The legal system has decided it got, it got completely overcrowded. So from now on, court cases take a couple of hours and that's it. <laughs> you're, 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 you're arrested like a day later you go in front of the court and your attorney had better be sharp on their feet because they're going to have to figure out the case in the middle of the, of the fucking witness stand. While they're actually interrogating people, they need to figure it out. And so an objection no longer becomes like a point of order. It becomes, I've caught you in a lie. Okay. Whether or not that's even your witness. So Phoenix Wright is a young and frankly at the start of the movie, not particularly good attorney, hmm. but very passionate, wants to do the right thing. Uh, and over the course oh, of the first... an animated film, right? No, no. Oh, it's live, live action. action. Okay. Directed by Takashi Miike. What? Yes. <laughs> that is great. All right. All right. So uh, he—he's okay. he's defending someone from a from a crime, and then uh, turns out that the one person, his 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 one partner at his law firm, uh, is the. It's a series of uh, cases over the course of the movie. Uh, the second case that he tries after his very first case in court is the murder of his own partner and the only person who was able to get him through the first trial. And so now he's screwed. That's funny. Uh, so he's got to somehow. Uh, uh, defend her sister, if memory serves, uh, who is accused of the crime. And uh, the way that they decide to like illustrate clues and various pieces of evidence is once they say, I'm introducing evidence, and then a giant robot spider like comes in from the ceiling with a series of like screens and like arms that hold up pieces of evidence and stuff like that and it's just wonderfully cinematic and totally absurd over the course of the film he tries i think four or five different cases mm. all like that kind of lightning fast think on your feet oh my god i better fucking figure out this clue because in five seconds they're gonna pit a gavel and then it's too late he ends up like Defeating a, a prosecutor who's never been defeated before in a trial, and then the next trial he's got to defend that prosecutor from murder, and it gets super melodramatic. What's beautiful about the premise, and what I think Takashi Miike understands about Phoenix Wright, is that Phoenix Wright is not a legal simulator. It is in no way anything like what it is like mm. to be an actual lawyer. But it's the fun parts. It's the parts that we see in TV and movies. Yeah. The really exciting parts where you come up with, in the middle of someone's like witness testimony, you realize, oh, that was a mistake. I've got them now. It's nothing but those moments. It's all the most <laughs> intense moments. It's all the big gotcha moments. It's all the surprises and the on the at the minute suspense. So it's kind of in many ways kind of like the ultimate courtroom movie. And I'm perfectly honest, we did an episode of the Iron List where we talked about the best court movies ever mm. if i had seen this movie in time i think i would have put it on that list <laughs> because even though it's completely inaccurate it's got all the feelings you want when you're playing a video game where you're a lawyer you don't want to simulate the parts where you're like doing patent research <laughs> you want to simulate the parts where you go ah Jackson! Yeah. <laughs> and everyone looks at you like, oh, what's he going to do? And you, yeah, all these really cool moments. You want those cool moments. The movie is nothing but cool moments over and over again. There's incredibly ludicrous cases that involve everything from uh, genuinely clever murder mysteries to the Loch Ness Monster. Um, <laughs> it's fun. I love it. It's, it's ridiculous. It captures the spirit of the game well, and it translates it really nicely to an over-the-top movie, but it works. 
Like, it's legitimately fun to watch on, like, every level. So, um, it's a movie that I, I, I think some people... It didn't really get released over here very well, though you can rent it pretty easily on streaming services. Mm. Um, I think some people weren't on board with this movie when it came out and for the life of me I can't figure out why I think mm. it's a treat so um, yeah Ace Attorney but you said it's a good adaptation because you played the game yeah I played the game right. and it's, uh, I played the first game and yeah. it's a pretty good adaptation of the game mm-hmm. and I think maybe it went a little too far in capturing the hyper stylization of it and people thought maybe it would be better if it was like more serious I don't know what everyone's problem was mm-hmm. I think it's a really solid adaptation I had a lot of fun right. um, I got two left okay uh feel like i should have mentioned this one earlier because it's it's a very recent film and it's not uh mm. great but it is quite delightful mm-hmm. and it's called werewolves within this is also my number two. Oh, good I was, okay i was saving it for my second yeah. to last um werewolves within is it's based on a video game uh but it's taking a lot of cues from the movie clue Mm. Uh, because it is also a mystery film. It's about a ranger who's uh, sort of come to a small town for the first time. He's shown around town by the mail carrier, who's played by... Um, uh, the actress from those... Uh, Lily those... from the AT&T commercials. Yeah, she's name really is... funny, by the way. She, no, she's hilarious. Uh, her yeah. name is um, Melina Vaintrub, and um... she, she starred in a failed pilot for a new Warriors television series yeah, where she, she was going to play Squirrel, Squirrel Girl. Girl yeah. And I'm mad that that never came out. If anyone has access to that pilot, please let us know. Because <laughs> we want to do a podcast about it. Because it looked really fun, and I love Squirrel Girl. There, done. I'm, I'm done. You have a Squirrel Girl toy. In I your do. Someone got it for me yeah, for yeah. Christmas a couple of years ago. I've left it in the box. One of these days, I'm going to find a nice place to like assemble it. But it's like Squirrel Girl and her Vespa. Very nice. <laughs> but yeah, she she played Squirrel, and yeah, she's hilarious. And um, mm. the the young sheriff immediately falls for her just because yeah. she's so charming. And we fall for them too. They have really nice chemistry together. Yeah, like they actually, all the like, characters, have conversations in, that are really interesting. All the characters in the small town are like really wonderfully acted and like smartly drawn, and mm. they're very distinct. And so when the ha- the town gets like snowed in by like a big snowstorm, yeah, and then people start showing up mauled to death by a wolf mm. slash werewolf. Um, we genuinely care about them and we hope they don't die, but also we're trying to figure out which one's the werewolf. Yeah. yeah. And that's the movie. And the, the video game Werewolves Within is very much inspired by the various party games. Where, usually, usually called werewolf. You know. Yeah, werewolf, or sometimes they're called like... Um, um, murderer or something. Murderer, or, or there was, what was like a gangster version or something like that. But basically, um, one everyone gets a piece of paper and it tells you whether or not you're the killer or werewolf and one or more people are and then you kind of you hide your head and the, that'll yeah. sort of dictate um, yeah it's almost like heads up seven up and yeah, it's basically like you know who, you, who, who who's gonna get killed who gets killed yeah and so you're just trying to figure out who among you is the suspicious one and so yeah that translates really beautifully to a movie because it's basically putting a whole bunch of people fun mm-hmm. characters in an intense situation they're gonna die oh. unless they figure out who among us is the werewolf assuming werewolves even exist and they are fun characters. Very they actually fun. bother to like introduce each of them. They're all like a little bit. A lot of them are like scoundrels mm-hmm. and and jerks. So you know, they it, and there's like some uh, malfeasance going on with the town. So everybody's suspicious and trying to kill each other in in that very clue sort of way. Like, like um, everybody is suspicious of Mister Body, who's a blackmailer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, it gets all of the humor right, mm-hmm. and it's paced really, really well, and yeah. m- most importantly, it has a lot of character. Um, I-, I said earlier, uh, when I play video games, I don't really care about the character. I just need a- an avatar to control. You're just trying uh, to solve but, puzzles. You're trying to solve problems, yeah, basically. I, yeah, I-, I see... And again, that's, again, my, my bias about video games. I understand that a, a lot of other people well, see pe- them differently. Pe- but, but a lot of people have very strong opinions about what video games they like. There's yeah. some people who only like first-person shooters. There's some people who yeah. only like simulation games. Some people who only like casual yeah. games. That's fine. Yeah. I, I appreciate the uh, sort of the point-and-click adventures, because then you can have, like, really colorful characters who say funny things. Well, yeah, because like, you like the Sam and Max. The Sam and Max games are really, fun, really yeah. fun. Um, uh so yeah, seeing these sort of like rich, funny, comedic characters being played by very talented actors mm-hmm. uh, in, in sort of this video game scenario really make makes me want to play the game. It makes the game seem sort of like interesting and whimsical, uh, even if it isn't. The movie is interesting and whimsical, and yeah. that's that's kind of the important thing. No, the movie's great. I think the movie is actually one of the better horror comedies we've had in quite a few years, honestly. And that's mm-hmm. it's a tricky genre to get right because. There's all different ways to play it. Do you play mostly comedic with a little bit of horror? You play a lot of horror mm, with a little like bit of comedy. Elements, you yeah. try to make it half and half. And I think this one, I think Clue is the best. It's it's a, one of the better spiritual successors to Clue. Mm. Um, the the comic timing ramps up. Uh, the sense of threat is real. People are actually dying. Mm. Uh, and yeah, the cast is stellar. It's just really, really wonderful motion picture. And if you didn't know it was... A lot of these movies, even if you didn't know it was based on a video game, you'd probably kind of pick up on the vibe. Right. You know? Like, um, some some movies feel they need to call it out a little bit. Like, there's a part in Street Fighter, the movie, where um, M. Bison is trying to, like, prevent... Guile from using his mm. magic boat to get to his lair, and he's using like all of these defense systems, and like the computer defense system looks like a Street Fighter controller. Like, mm. I, I get it, man. Kind of, kind of lampshading. I, it a little I, bit, I yeah. see what you're doing. It's it's very clever. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Being clever. Being clever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Werewolves then never really tips its hand. If you didn't know it was based on a video game, you might be surprised to find out. It is just an exquisitely well put together horror comedy from top to bottom. It is a legitimately very good movie. Uh, And it also manages to incorporate the elements of the video game that make sense. Mm -hmm. Because it's a mystery game. It is about, you know, solving a problem. Um, Movie's great. Please see it if you haven't already. It's it's an absolute delight and I don't want to run it for you. Um, We each have only our number one left. All right. I'm very curious if we pick the same one. Um, probably not. Okay. Interesting. Uh, the one I chose, like, like I said, is a movie more about video games. Oh, than we did. Uh, pardon? Than we did. Okay. Uh, okay. And it, it looks at technology in a very peculiar way. In fact, it comes from a science fiction horror director ah. who tends to look at, uh, technology in a very curious way. And I'm talking about David Cronenberg's film, Existence. Yeah, I thought that might be it. Um, David Cronenberg is always, in interviews, says he's very keen on uh, high-tech. Yeah. He, he's not uh, nostalgic about filmmaking. He wants to go to digital cameras. He was very happy when DVDs became available and you could skip around within a movie and watch yeah. it out of order if you wanted to. Um, he had no, no concepts of this sort of technological purity mm-hmm. to cinema. Yet you watch his movies and they are like the most low-tech sci-fi films you've ever seen. Uh, you look at something like Existence, everybody's dressed in beige, there's no jewelry, there's nothing shiny, there's no glowing lights. Uh, the technology is us. Um, <laughs> uh, 
somebody has invented a virtual reality video game uh, called Existence, uh, small e, capital X, capital Z, and people are testing it out. And true to many Cronenberg movies, there's this mysterious cadre of like anti-conspiracy uh, freedom fighters who are trying to stop the release of this video game. Hmm. And their concern is that the video game is so real, it's breaking down people's brains and uh, robbing them of their ability to tell the difference between what's real and what's a game. There was, there was this sense, I think, in terms of virtual reality movies, yeah. particularly Existence in the Matrix, mm. uh, that the difference between the real world and the virtual world would, would start would, to blend together. Would start to blend together and that that would be a nightmare. Mm. And I love the story that Keanu Reeves told recently about uh, speaking to like a friend's kid or a niece or nephew or something and uh, they were asking what they hadn't seen it yet what's the matrix about and he explained it's about someone who realizes that they might not be living in the real world might be living in a virtual computer world Mm. and the kid says who cares (laughs) if you can't tell the difference what what does it matter we're at a point now where everyone's living online anyway it doesn't is is it really that different and it's like Hmm. okay shit times may have changed okay (laughs) (laughs) might might not be the same existential concern that we had back in the late 90s yeah 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 but it was a concern in the late 90s. It was. And uh, David Cronenberg's concern was was that very thing. Uh, and the way he made the technology look is like living nipple monsters. It's it's like this little, <laughs> it looks like an embryo. It's the kind yeah. of like living well, it's flesh like fleshy. ball. It's, yeah. like, it's, not, it's not like a box that's all sleek and fits on your... Uh, hmm. uh, Over your eyes or yeah, something. Yeah, no, it's, it, the idea is that it's like, because when you're... When you're we we have all these like lofty ambitions with like virtual reality that we're going to be like walking around and using our hands to pick things up and mm. the simple fact is when we're in virtual reality we're still in our apartment right <laughs> you know there's still limitations to what we can or cannot do and frankly you know subtle variations aside a controller is about as intuitive as anything we've ever come up with in terms of there's a joystick for movement there are buttons for various interactions um it might not be a perfect simulation of reality, but we we need to we need it to be fast. Mm. We need to be able to do something almost as quickly as we think it, and that's not necessarily going to be the case with like pure physical interaction. So, Cronenberg um, imagines sort of a blending of the two: the idea that um, in order for things to work as quickly as they would need to work in a virtual reality sequence, mm. the game engine itself is biological yeah. in a way, and it, it plugs know. directly into. Uh, a hole you have installed in the, the base of your spine. And it is sexual. Yeah, it's definitely sexualized. Yeah. There are parts where like, oh, the, the your port need is chapped. We need to apply some Vaseline to it. And we're like lube to it. Um, okay. Uh, I see what you're doing there, David. I, I, very subtle, David. Mm. Well done. The the uh that paranoia about being unable to distinguish between what's real and what's virtual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course there's you know a kind of existentialist twist in the movie. Uh, and also the way that technology is this kind of icky thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a gun uh, people use in the movie that's made up of like frog bones and it fires teeth. Like it's this yeah, weird it's biological really weapon. Yeah. Uh, all of that is just really cool aesthetically. But I think uh, David Cronenberg has had a weird sort of love-hate relationship with technology. How... He is very uh, keen on it, but he also sees it as kind of degrading us in kind of a way. He's been doing this in a lot of movies. This is also a big theme of Videodrome. Um, I feel like it's a big theme of uh, Cosmopolis as well. Like, it's surrounded by this car while chaos goes on outside. 
Um, personal chaos is a big theme of his, just the world sort of falling apart. I think he's an Entropy fan. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Crimes of the Future, but it's also a, a theme of that one as well. Yeah. And, but Existence might be one of his more accessible movies, just because you kind of get the video game concept of it. Yeah. It's, it's, mm. It came out around the same time as The Matrix, and yeah, it was so seen as kind of like the, the, the art house version, because mm. uh, it doesn't really... Because The Matrix, it's not a video game movie, but it has that kind of virtual thrills where it has elements that we might f- be familiar with in video games. Mm-hmm. Fight scenes, shootouts, yeah, yeah. all the fun stuff. Existence is more about sort of an interactive novel kind of experience, uh, which is fitting because my number one pick is an adaptation of an interactive novel. Okay. Or, kind of. Um, my uh, And it's a film that was barely released in America and is largely forgotten and actually really hard to track down. I was able to find it on YouTube, thank okay. goodness, but there's no guarantee it'll be there forever and it desperately needs a proper re-release because it was actually a really popular series for a while. Kind of died out about five years ago. Uh, it's called Professor Layton and the Eternal Aww. Diva. This this was one I nearly put on my list. Yeah. Uh, this is one you and I watched a while back. Yeah, and for a while we were saying this is the best video game movie ever, and I suspect maybe if you'd rewatched it recently it might have made your list, because yeah, I, I rewatched it. I haven't seen it since, like, when it first came out. It was like I, I wanted to make a point of rewatching it because I remembered it being great, and I was like, well, it, it better actually hold up, so I need to make sure I actually watch it and check. And uh, you know, excuse me, you know what? It is great. It is a legitimately very good movie. Uh, Professor Layton is the star of a series of video games uh, which are basically kind of a steampunk Sherlock Holmes, Mm. but instead of solving mysteries using like various clues, uh, he solves a variety of puzzles. Mm. Uh, He's he's always in a scenario where people are presenting him with puzzles. Yeah, it's uh, one of those alternate realities where everyone's kind of obsessed with the same thing. Whereas in Pokemon, everyone... Uh, is obsessed with... Dogfighting. <laughs> find, yeah, dogfighting. Basically, finding and training Pokemon. Uh, in the world of Professor Layton, everyone's really fascinated with puzzles, whether they're the main bad guy or just the people on the street. And the people, they're like, oh, I'd love to help you, Professor Layton, but ah, my kid gave me this puzzle and I can't figure it out. And I can't concentrate until I finally solve this puzzle. And so you find the puzzle and you solve the puzzle, and some of them are more insidious than others. And For a video game, that's great. It's super great. Uh, and... Um, the video game, the Professor Layton games I played, and there were a bunch of them, I only played like two. Um, I appreciated the variety in uh, skill set it required. And, like, there were always puzzles that were solvable and puzzles that really bent your brain a little bit. Okay. And uh, you felt smart. <laughs> like, you felt smart for figuring it out. Yeah. Um, so, adapting pre- uh, pre- uh, Professor Layton to a movie. Pretty straightforward. You're going to have to accept the puzzle thing, which is, you know, a little mm-hmm. silly, uh, but totally manageable. It could have worked in live action, but they decided to do it in anime. And you know what? The anime is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful score, wonderful characterizations. Uh, even the American dub is pretty good. Um, professor Layton in the movie, uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's a professor. He solves puzzles. He has a young uh, uh, sidekick. Yeah. yeah, a young sidekick named Luke. Uh, and uh, they are invited to help solve a mystery, and the mystery involves um, a diva who uh, may have died and then come back as a young girl. What? And so they attend. Very uh, they attend uh, the latest uh, uh, performance of her 
uh, impresario orchestration, like a composer father, only to find out that what in the middle of the performance, uh, it is announced that the people in the audience have been chosen uh, to partake in a series of tests puzzles. And whoever solves all the puzzles, the person who makes it to the end, you will receive eternal life. Oh, shit. So everyone's <laughs> running around scrambling, trying to solve a variety of puzzles. Some of them are legitimately kind of clever. Some are more, you know, movie puzzles, you know, like involve more action-adventure-y type things. Um, takes them to a series of locales, and sure enough, they have to do a variety of things. Like, okay, we're trapped in a shack with a bunch of tools and like they're like man-eating wolves out beside the out, outside <laughs> outside what do we do mm. and he uses the tools to build a uh, 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 like a little mini helicopter <laughs> now yeah. they now they have a wonderful well, Miyazaki-ish flying machine to help them through the rest of the movie my favorite is uh, one of the the puzzles i remember is uh, they were let loose on an island and there's like killer Tigers, I think. It's oh, it's, oh, it's wolves. It's wolves. Yeah, and uh, and there are cages that have been set up for them. Yeah, and certain teams are trying to figure out ways to sort of like lift the cages and drop them on the wolves and trap them. Yeah, and Professor Layton says, "No, we get in the cage." Yeah. The wolves can't that's, get in that's the like cage. Completely, completely logical. And then everyone's like, "Well, yeah. Well, what are you going to do? How are you going to get out of here?" And then they lift the cage and they, they walk, walk with it. The yeah. cage. It's, it's very clever. It's yeah, smart. Yeah. Like it's sort of the, it's sort of thing that might not occur to you in the heat of the moment when your life is in danger. The movie mostly mm-hmm. plays fair and is actually like really legitimate. And yet, even though it is a character who is ostensibly incredibly logical, the stories that Professor Layton finds himself in inevitably turn weirdly fantastic. And sure enough, the final revelations in the movie about what's actually happening in the plot mm. are pretty goddamn weird. <laughs> like, it's actually like, first it's like, oh yes, there's only one solution. And then he explains what's happening. And I'm like, no, that's not the plot of the movie, is it? That's what this was all about? That's pretty freaking weird, Professor Layton, but we're well, going for it. It's one of the, it's based on that, um, Sherlock Holmes quote. Yeah. Like, uh, eliminate the impossible. Anything that's left, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. Well, it's a lot there's, of improbable a, things. There's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of improbable things all at once. There's, there's a lot of, uh, um, a lot of things that are possible in the Professor Layton universe. That's true. And there's a lot of really wonderful characters in it. Uh, a couple of really good villains, like two of the major villains of the, of the video game show up. Mm. Uh, there's sword fights. There's giant robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a real treat, and it really does feel like you're immersed in the game in a way that you you, you aren't even in the game. It feels like you're you're palling around with him, yeah, in a really exciting way. Uh, it translates the game, and then, granted, because it's kind of a visual novel with puzzle interactions, it had a bit of a leg up, yeah. But it translates the game beautifully, and it really does feel like there should be a lot more of these movies. And why wasn't this more of a hit? Like, how did you not? I feel I like think, nowadays, uh, I feel like yeah. this this was eked into a couple of art house theaters and then forgotten about. In, in the United States, yeah. yeah I feel like nowadays this would be, like, a relatively prominent streaming release. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And maybe it would be only for cults, but I do feel like the people who would watch it would recognize this is beautifully animated. Hmm. This is pretty smartly written, and it really works. I feel like it would have a bigger cult now, at least, if not yeah, outright mainstream I mean, success. 
Uh, and it's just a shame that it's so hard to find because it's a real treat. Mm. Um, I think it's good too. Mm-hmm. I, I like I, I probably would have put it on my list, but I need to watch it again. It's yeah, been a while since happens. I've seen it. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it would make a, a good streaming release. I think the idea that because the Professor Layton games mm-hmm. were for like the Nintendo DS, if I recall, uh, mostly or, if not entirely, yeah, and uh, they're a bit obscure. They were hits for a few years, and they've just kind of faded out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think uh, the brand wasn't recognizable enough to American distributors for them to just push it as, as large as they could have. It's not like Pokemon. You know, everybody knows Pokemon. But there were a ton of these games. There was like a, mm. there was like a dozen of the damn things. Like, I mean, that, that, that means nothing these days. I they make a dozen anything. I know. Uh, it, it, I, I felt like it deserved better, but that's fine. Um, in any case, those are our lists. Uh, real fast, I'm going to walk them down, just uh, for anyone who needs a quick reminder or just wants to hear them all in one place, uh-huh. in case there are any recommendations you want. Uh, Whitney's top ten list uh, was Super Mario Brothers: The Movie, DOA, Dead or Alive, Wreck-It Ralph, The Last Starfighter, Pokemon The Movie, colon, I Choose You, War Games, Bandersnatch, uh, King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, Werewolves Within, and Existence. I stand by it. Yeah, it's a good list. And uh, my picks were Street Fighter the movie, Dead or Alive, DOA, Dead or Alive, sorry, uh, The Last Starfighter, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Rampage, War Games, Werewolves Within, and Professor Layton, and The Eternal Diva. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, some films I had on my runners-up, and also some films that might seem like obvious omissions to some people, and I want to explain mm. why they didn't make my list. Okay. Wait, do you have any runners up? You want to? Uh, uh, talk yeah, about I, I actually I'll, I'll do. Um, I, I actually had Professor Layton on, on, on my runners up list, yeah. as well as The Matrix. I think that's a good. It counts. Kind it's, of. It's it makes sense. I, I mentioned Funny Games already. Yeah. Uh, it's not a great movie, but I think it has a really interesting look. They spent way too much money on achieving mm. the look because it actually looks cheap. Uh, compared to his actual budget, but yeah. Tron, yeah, the, where uh, you know Jeff Bridges gets sucked into a video game and all the programs are people yeah. inside. I think Tron Legacy is a better movie, but Tron, the first Tron, is much more about video games, yeah, than, yeah. than Legacy is. Yeah, uh, another one that isn't like is based on video game dynamics, but isn't a video game, but Real Steel about fighting oh. robots. Uh, yeah, it's it's sort of about like controlling these robots. It's just in, in the course of the video. No, it's, the kind, movie, of a, it's kind of a fighting game movie in a way. I, I like that. Yeah. I wish I thought of that actually. That's a really good pick. Yeah. Uh, Detective Pikachu is decent yeah. uh, in, in terms of like a, a kooky Pokemon movie, making it like palatable to a mainstream audience. Yeah. A movie that is, was very important to me when it came out, even though it sucks. <laughs> it's called The Wizard. Yeah, that was on my runners up too. <laughs> the Wizard was a Nintendo commercial. What if uh, Rain Man, but it was a Nintendo commercial? Yeah. That's the movie. It, it it's the hugs, whole movie. hugs Nintendo products throughout. All the characters yeah. are obsessed with the nin- Nintendo games. And the goal of the three young uh, kids who run away from home is to get to Universal Studios in Hollywood. So to win a Nintendo competition. Go to a Nintendo competition where they unveil, for the first time, before the release of the game, uh-huh. Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah, and if you watch the movie multiple times, so, mm-hmm. you know, get the money together, you'll notice that if you watch them play Super Mario Brothers 3, they reveal hidden secrets in the game you're not going to find out other places. <laughs> God damn it, Nintendo. <laughs> so, but here's the deal. It's actually a fun movie. It's, it's, it's a commercial, fun. but it's a pretty it's, fun movie. It's not yeah. a great screenplay. No. Uh, it's not great characters. Fred Savage was, you know... Yeah. At the height of his powers as a child actor, yeah. 
Uh, oh, now, now, now he's at the height of his powers as like a TV writer, so he's, he's doing great now. Who was his co-star who ended up starting a band? Oh, uh, Jenny Lewis is her name. Yeah, Jenny Lewis yeah. from Rilo Kiley. Yeah, 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 she's in it as well. That's fun. Um, uh, yeah. But as a young lad who was obsessed with Nintendo... It was a big deal. I, I too, wanted the power glove. But we all, it was so bad. Uh, it's so bad. Yeah. Uh, any other thing else on your runners-up? Uh, no, that was it. Okay. I had a bigger runner-up list. Uh, so I'm going to save a couple of films that I want to talk about why they didn't make my list uh, mm. for last. Uh, but real fast, some films that are on my runners-up. Uh, I... I I didn't grow up with this movie. I watched it later in life, but it's really, really good. Uh, the uh, 80s thriller Cloak and Dagger with Dabney Coleman. Is that a video game movie? It is. It's about uh, uh, a kid who's, a, who's obsessed with video games and uh, a secret like government spy code has been hidden inside like a video game cartridge. Yeah. And it goes off in an adventure. Oh, okay. and it, it, it's really I good, I think I forgot that detail. But I, I, I like the movie a lot. It's really, really good. Uh, let's see It's another here. one I haven't seen since I was a kid. Uh, the Lawnmower Man, technically a video game movie. Uh, uh, it's kind of a stupid movie, but I enjoy it. I used to love it. Yeah. Existence made my runner-up list. Right. Uh, let's see here. Um, it's a terrible movie, but I do find it deeply enjoyable. Stay Alive, where if you die in the game, that's how you die in real life, which would have been impossible to beta test. <laughs> and it always amused me. It's like, oh, Steve died in the video game by being shot, but in real life he was run over by a car. We can't ship this like this. <laughs> we have to fix this. It's so stupid. It's a terrible movie, but it's really fun to watch. Um, Gamer, parts of Gamer I find incredibly clever. It's the one where Gerard Butler plays a uh, death row inmate who allows uh, people to play him like a video game character in exchange for time off a sentence, theoretically. Um, cool ideas. Some parts of it are not well thought out and frankly kind of fucked up but uh mostly i like it ralph breaks the internet was on my runner's up list jumanji the first jumanji welcome to the jungle okay the dwayne johnson one's a pretty good video game movie um let's see here uh a movie i can't tell you what it is because the fact that it's a video game is a twist so let that go uh future cops is super (laughs) weird thanks for bringing that up then uh future cops is super weird uh again i can't quite recommend it but there you go um i'm rather fond of the most recent tomb raider movie uh, with Alicia Vikander, Alicia Vikander, yeah. The Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider movie is a pretty solid, you know, Indiana Jones-ish thriller, just like the Uncharted movie. Perfectly watchable films, just not very memorable, per se. Um, let's see here. Bah, 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 bah. Almost done. Uh, Duncan Jones' Warcraft movie is... Oh, that that, if it, that movie's terrible, No, dude. it's not. It's not. If that movie came out in the 80s... Um, and it wasn't based on a video game and everyone's giving it crap for it. It would be as well remembered as any other fantasy like epic fantasy of the of the film, of its yeah. ilk. Uh is it amazing? No. Is it fun? Yeah. It actually has some interesting character work in it and some of the some of the designs and things are very attractive to look at. I, I like that movie. Is it great? No. But I like it. And I think it deserves a, a little bit more credit for being for being right, pretty good. Right. Uh, let's see here. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, and uh, I'm the the Doom movie with Dwayne the Rock Johnson sucks. Yes. A movie that is okay, not great, but is okay is the straight to video quasi reboot Doom Annihilation, which is made on a much lower budget and it shows, <laughs> but it captures more of the spirit of the thing and it feels more like. Uh, uh, more like a cheap sci-fi action thriller in the sort of Eliminators kind of realm. Okay. Uh, so that one really works for me. Uh, the movies that you might have expected to be on my list or Whitney's list and didn't make it, I can't speak for Whitney, uh, but are often considered some of the better video game movies. Mm-hmm. Movies like Mortal Kombat, the original at least, uh, Resident Evil and Silent Hill. 
I have reasons for not including all those movies. I do too. Yeah, they're not good. Well, uh, they're some of them are better than others. I suppose so. It, it. I thought it was very telling that for many many years the high water marks in video game adaptations were Mortal Kombat. Uh-huh. And Resident Evil, both both by the yeah. same director, incidentally. Yeah, Paul um, W.S. Anderson, yeah. There's some fun special effects in that Mortal Kombat movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually about the tournament, which is nice. Yeah, it's, it keeps it clean. Uh, there was Straightforward, a, yeah. There was a, a reboot also called Mortal Kombat, uh, is, like a year and a half ago. Which is not very good That wasn't about the tournament. It was about no. like gathering the people who were going to compete and not actually have the tournament. No, the tournament we saved for the sequel. Yeah. Shut up. Just have the tournament, guys. <laughs> Do the damn tournament. What I appreciate about that remake is that they, like, incorporated the gore. It's incredibly bloody. Yeah. Uh, the special effects in the 1995 one are kind of fun. There's a big uh, animatronic monster that's kind of fun to look at. That thing's cool. No denying it. And and the soundtrack is unassailable. Yeah, it's pretty uh, cool. The, a lot of that sort of te- techno music. Um, yeah. CGI sucks. A lot of the CGI Characters sucks. Characters aren't interesting. Yeah. Story is awful. The I, screenplay is bad. I, I will say the character of Johnny Cage is interesting, but that's as far as I'll go. All right. Uh, Some of the fighting is all right. Here's the deal. It's, it's a fight movie... And there's only, like, one, maybe two good fights in it. Well, there's one where they, they like, slip through a portal into yeah. hell. The one where Johnny Cage fights Scorpion, legitimately good fight. I will not take that away from anybody. That's mm. a well-choreographed, interesting fight. The others, not great, not edited great, not a lot of not a lot of weight behind them. Um, it's not a great way to do a fighting tournament movie. It is, at best, adequate. And it was there was a time when that was the best we had... Mm for video game adaptations in terms of relative faithfulness and I think we gave it a lot of bonus points but I think if you go back and look at it it's not, it's not, not great a good movie. Uh, the Resident Evil movie uh, a lot of people don't like those Resident Evil movies because they're really not faithful to the games the games are very silly as well so I don't have that problem <laughs> I just don't think they're particularly good I, I think the weirder sequels are more fun for me so I actually came very close to putting the fifth Resident Evil movie on my list just because it's absolutely nonsense Mm. Uh, but it didn't quite make the cut. Well, those all of those movies are nonsense. Like, yes, but the, some of them they, they don't even play by their own rules. The no, 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 they completely, completely rewrite strange, it every single yeah. time. I appreciate the fourth and fifth movies for being completely bug nuts. Yeah, just absolutely th- doesn't nothing fucking matters anymore. We're just doing whatever the hell Paul Dewey Anderson wanted to film that day, mm. and he has a weird imagination, and it was kind of fun for a little bit there. But they're not great movies. Um, a movie that comes close is the first Silent Hill movie, which actually has a lot of atmosphere. Mm. Uh, and I, has, I, I'm not fond of that one either. I'm, not, I'm explaining why. Mm. I think it has a lot of atmosphere. I think it captures the atmosphere pretty good. Um, and I think it's got a really good cast, which is better than you might expect. It's got it's Alice R- Kriege and Rada Mitchell. Rada Mitchell, Sean Bean. The problem is, is that that movie takes a lot of the imagery from the games that was meant to reflect a particular character's psychological state, mm. And very specifically so, and then gives it to another character so that all of these horrifying images no longer have any meaning. Uh-huh. And I, I have to detract points from that because I think it's actually just a completely missing the point adaptation. It kind of works as just like creepy things are creepy, but if you're looking for it to be as intelligent as some of the better Silent Hill games, it really falls flat. And I find it frustrating, and the fact that it came so close means I actually have to detract more points for the things that they get completely wrong and that undermine the story. So I'm, for me, it, it, it comes up really short. I'm not familiar with the Silent Hill games, yeah. but uh, I can tell you that um, 
I think this is a big issue with adapting a lot of modern video games. Is, uh, games have become so elaborate. Yeah. That, you know, it takes hundreds of hours to complete these things, if, mm-hmm. if they can even be completed. Well, some of them, anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and the mythology has become so unbelievably complicated that you can't reduce it to a film anymore. There's just too much ground to cover. Yeah. Uh, and I think... Uh, Whenever they tr- something like Warcraft is actually a good example. There's yeah. like so much mythology in something like Warcraft. Yeah, that uh, when you reduce it to a movie, it seems really busy. There's it's just a, too it's much really going dense. On. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that's a big issue with something like Silent Hill because uh, clearly there's a lot of mythology here, but they're they're clearly cramming a lot in. It's like she goes yeah. to this haunted town, but it's only haunted half of the time. And, well, I mean that's actually uh, pretty it's, faithful. It's just I feel like they kind of. In attempting to push everything into a movie, they kind of push things into places where they don't belong, and it no mm. longer makes as much sense, okay. uh, which is which is kind of frustrating. But uh, anyway, those are our picks for the best video game movies ever made. I'm sure you disagree. Absolutely. Write in and t- let us know what we got wrong. We do want to hear what we got wrong. Please let us know. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. Box. Winnie, what is that? Yeah, send it to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, February's been a little rough for us, so we haven't done a, as many We've Got Mails, but we will do one, and we, we look forward to mm. hearing from you, finding out why we're wrong about everything, why, I don't know, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time should have been in there, I don't know. Whatever your favorite no, is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's a ton of video game movies out there. There might be some real big Need for Speed fans who just really mm. want to push for it. We want to hear from you. I'd be very curious to do so. There isn't enough intelligent discourse, I think, about video game movies. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think some film critics don't get it or don't want to. Well, uh, and also because I think there's a certain uh, eagerness to write off genre films anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, even if they weren't based on a video game, a lot of these movies probably wouldn't get a lot of critical discourse. And they should. If only these if only adaptations I think they're interesting. Um so there's, that's going on. Uh, normally, this is where where we would announce uh, what the poll options would be for the next month. However, our patrons got a little tricky. <laughs> we put out a poll, and the poll had a tie between two topics. So we're like, okay, that's fair. Uh, we're going to do a tiebreaker with only those two topics. And whichever one wins, that's what we'll do. And it was a tie again. So no, we're not doing Which, a six. Is, it's not the first time this has happened. No, either. but it is something. We're doing something a little different this time. Uh, we are not gonna do like a six hour podcast where we do both next month we'll do the other one you picked there that's the plan so the two winners were the best video game movies ever here we are and then the next month we're going to be doing the best movie franchises ever the whole series not just one movie in it that is and uh this is a bit tricky because there are a lot of uh sort of franchises and yeah. I, i'm not fond of the term Let, franchise, let's say series. Let's series film series yeah I don't. I don't like that. Uh, people, viewers have uh-huh. have uh, latched onto this business term franchise yeah, to describe it. art. Yeah. But uh, some uh, some of these film series have classics within them, mm-hmm. but average out pretty poorly. Once you include all the sequels, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think Star Wars is an excellent example of sure. this. Star Wars has a few very good movies. A, a few very good movies. And a, quite a few stinkers if you really yeah. look at it. Uh, it also has an albatross around its neck called The Holiday Special. Technically a which, TV movie. Which cancels out The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> so... 
No, I, I, I'm with you here, and I, I think we're both on the same page when we do that episode where we're going to be looking at the aggregate score yeah, which... of like of overall general quality, and they don't all have to be great in order for that score to be high, hmm. but they better mostly be great, especially if there's a lot of them. Yeah. So we're going to be looking at our picks for the best movie series of all time. There's going to be a lot of different genres. I'm going to, I'm going to, we normally don't do this, but I'm going to pick a rule. Mm-hmm. Do we want to say minimum three movies, like a trilogy, or should we go real nuts and say a minimum four movies so that it's a proper Ooh. series? Um, I think, I think minimum three is fine. Minimum three is fine? Yeah. Okay. We'll talk about it later. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have a debate, but in any case, at least three. Bare minimum, like one movie and a sequel doesn't count. Yeah. Got to be at least three. We might extend that even further, but we'll talk. Um, anyway, that's what's coming up the next Iron List. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you want to uh, join in and vote for future Iron Lists, after March we will have another uh, poll. Uh, you can always join up, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We'd love to have you. We have a lot of exclusive shows there. Uh, we have Discord hangouts, trivia nights. Uh, Star Trek shows, Oscars shows, Mm -hmm. shows dedicated to the Step Up franchise. There's a ton of stuff. Uh, And a huge back catalog. So if you sign up, you get access to it right away. So uh, thank you, everybody, who's joined up. It really means a lot to us. Hope you're enjoying what you got. Um, And uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, Make sure you head on over to our Ko-Fi store, or rather my Ko-Fi store with my partner, uh, ko-fi.com slash saltcatsoap. We sell... Handmade soaps, designer soaps. Yes, we do. Uh, we have uh, uh, stickers. We have uh, autographed books written by M. Lapis da Silva. Um, it's all very, very cool. And uh, thank you, everybody, who's already made purchases. We also have a Soap of the Month Club, if you want to join up and get a, a soap sent to you every month, or two, if you're feeling fancy. Mm-hmm. It's patreon.com slash saltcatsoap. We also have a bonus podcast we do there. That's just me and my partner talking about various things, uh, uh Talking about our lives, talking about the soap store, talking about uh, uh, art and its various forms. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So thank you, everybody, who's joined up for that as well. Anyway, uh, that's it. That's it. We're done. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Always a long episode. And That's the list, you say? Yeah, that's the list. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.